everybody. What's up? It's your boy, MJ. Welcome to the Black Wine Guy Experience. My guest today is the managing director of storied retailer Grapes the Wine Company, Daniel Posner. Posner or Posner? Posner is okay. correct. All right. Because, you know, some people, I know a Posner. <laughs> it happens. Uh, Daniel has... 22 years of wine retail experience, and he has been featured and quoted in such publications as the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal, Wine Spectator, Food and Wine Magazine, Forbes, People, USA Today, Fox News, and many others. Uh, Daniel serves on the board of directors of the National Association of Wine Retailers, and the Wall Street Journal referred to him as one of the most influential wine retailers in the United States. Welcome, Daniel. Thank you for having me, MJ. Pleasure to be here. Oh, so good to finally meet you. I mean, uh, we, we uh, you know, a lot of this show is DMs, and Daniel slid up in my DMs because he was listening to the show. Shout out to you, Mary Taylor. Uh, <laughs> Thank you, Mary. Um, and uh, you know, and uh, and uh, and actually, Grapes was a sponsor last year at some point, and I appreciate that support. But his story—I want to get his story because when I was doing the research, was remember I texted you, I was like. How how long are you like twenty two? I'm like twenty two years. You do done all this. Like I was like, you had to have done something before you got the grapes. But we're gonna get to that. <laughs> Not much. <laughs> so man, I start at the beginning, man. So where are you yeah. from? Where'd you grow up? Man? So I grew up in New York. Oh, hold on, let me back yeah. up. I'm so I'm so yeah. amped up. He grew up in New York. What did you bring? First of all, this is the black oh, wine guy experience. It is. It is. I I, I brought. What I think is a real unicorn wine. Uh, it's 2017 Lamy Cayotte Bourgogne Blanc. Mm. I, I brought something that was fitting for what we do at Grapes the Wine Company. Lamy Cayotte has now become a producer that is extremely sought after, real unicorn, trading in the marketplace for stupid money, forgive mm -hmm. it. Um, mm -hmm. But a producer that we got hot on in their very first vintage in 2011. We loved the wines. We loved the winemaker. We love the story behind it. And we got behind it. Early 2012 being the first real vintage, but 11 being the first kind of release. And uh, we've been buying it ever since. Uh, unfortunately, I don't have anything older to drink because I drank it all. Um, <laughs> as luck would have it, 17 is the oldest vintage in my cellar. Um, Bourgogne Blanc in 17 was the first vintage he made of Bourgogne. It's based in Chassagne Montrachet. Producer's name is Sebastian Cayat. He married into the Lamy Pio family. Um, the offshoot label, like I said, from Lamy Pio started in 11. Um, and this is kind of what we do at Grapes the Wine Company. We find producers that we love, that we can get behind from wherever it is in the world. It's what we've been doing for 25 years, 22 for me. Uh, and this is just one of those examples. Um, so I think in this vintage, I think he made about three barrels. I don't know what it's up to now. Uh, I opened it up about two hours before I got here. Uh, didn't do any decanting or anything, but, you know, Chassagne is kind of, you know, that's where the home base is for them. But a very cool wine, something I don't get to drink often, something I thought you might appreciate. I totally. I thank you so much yeah. for bringing this and sharing this. And it's at perfect, like, cellar temperature yeah. right now and, and beautiful. And when you're saying that's what you guys do at Grapes, I was thinking, cause I had Lyle, uh, Lyle Rails back on years ago and he was telling me, like, when Kermit found Cooch, like, no one wanted Cooch when they first found yeah. it. Like it's crazy. Like some of these, these, like they like said, these, these, these wines, especially from Burgundy. Like people are like, eh. Like, like literally, like, Cooch was like thirty bucks, bucks a bottle, yep. man. I remember, you know, and and, and Lyle's a, a a great person in the wine business, a good friend of mine, and uh, but even Coach, I, I remember being in Burgundy and called about two thousand four. I'm in a broker's office in Merceau on a Friday, and this little small truck backs into the warehouse, and the guy's got a rack full of Coach Jury. <laughs> And I was like, and I look at my friend. I'm like, oh, where, 
I, I know that guy doing the delivery. He's like, well, that's Jean-Francois Cochery. <laughs> I was like, it's three o'clock on a Friday. He's like, he does his own deliveries, his own truck. <laughs> right. I mean, it's just who they are. These guys are farmers. Yeah. Right? They're, yeah. They are who they are. And, and to your point, and Koch and anybody from any wine region, nobody wants the wines until they want the wine. Exactly. So this is a wine. I mean, we couldn't give away La Micaillade. We loved it and we bought tons of it. I poured the 2014 Chassagne Montrachet at a KPMG retired partner outing mm. a bunch of years ago. Mm -hmm. And I told the 80 people in the room, I had four cases. I was like, you're going to want to drink as much of this wine as you can. And only because I didn't know anything other than I thought the wine was great. And you fast forward to now where we are and, and you, you cannot find these wines. Yeah. I mean, they're completely non-existent. They go to select merchants, select restaurants, select retailers, um, and, and people who stood behind them for the last decade. And we were lucky to be one of those people. Nice. Nice. So you're from New York. I, I am born and raised Westchester County. Westchester I mean, County. I am. Whereabouts? Uh, a small town called Armonk, New York. I've heard of Ar Armonk. <laughs> the only reason people know Armonk, IBM Corporate World Headquarters. Was Is that what Armonk. it was? It was IBM was in the Armonk. So. Yeah, because uh, – I just know it because driving up to Connecticut, sure. like, you, you know. Exit, you know, six, eight, yeah. exit three on 684 is yeah. Armonk, New York. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And that's all you need to know. There's not much else there. So did you did you, did your dad or someone work at uh, IBM or something? How'd you end up? How'd you end up? Uh, no. Uh, my dad was a headhunter growing up. Oh, wow. Just employment, had his own employment agency. My mother was a school teacher in Queens and then the Bronx. Um, she was from Queens originally. My father was from the Bronx originally and they met. They actually moved up to Putnam County as the story goes at one time uh, when they got married and then they moved back down to Westchester to raise the family. Um, but I was technically born in Putnam County and at a year and a half old moved back down to Armonk. Gotcha. And so um, Westchester County, what was it like growing up for you there, man? Uh, you know, Armonk is just one of those towns in Westchester that, you know, it's a, it's a great place to grow up. It's a great place to, to meet people. I've got like a core group of friends from elementary school that I still hang out with, mm -hmm. but small communities, small towns, small schools, small everything, very, you know, like, not a lot of diversity, if you will, yeah. um, as, as expected and, uh, in a, in a small town like that. And, uh, but it was, it was a great place to be and, and happy to do it and, and happy to meet my, you know, my friends mm -hmm. that I've had really mm -hmm. for life there. That's awesome. So growing up, um, was, was wine a thing in your family? Was it on the table? Uh, 100% not. 100% <laughs> no. There was no wine on the table. There was an occasional, um, scotch. Maybe okay. like a fuzzy navel as the drink was as oh the, my, the, God. my parents used to entertain. And I remember like Chivas Regal was always in the bar. Um, and, uh, and when I was, I don't know what age I was where I got to play bartender for some Saturday night dinner parties, but I would just make fuzzy navels, like peach schnapps and whatever else no, went into it. Yeah, it peach yeah, peach, and it was, and that's, and that's all they drank. I mean, alcohol was not part of our family at all. Not a part of my parents' lives. Um, not really a part of mine till much later, but, um, that's, that's the way life was there. Yeah. So I, you know, I have never, this is the first time we met in real life. Yeah. Um, you're a pretty tall dude. Uh, <laughs> Did you play any sports growing up, man? Uh, football and basketball were my main sports. Um, that was what I was indebted into. I played a little tennis, a little baseball, but football and basketball is what I did straight through through high school and beyond. So Okay, beyond. So where did you go to college? I uh, went to Johns Hopkins in Baltimore. Ooh, heard of that. Yeah, small school in Baltimore, yep. Maryland. And what did you major in? Political science. Okay, so you're going to go to law school? Uh, that was the plan. <laughs> Just, like you went to law school. Yeah. My plan was to go to law school. Um, I met my wife in college. 
She was also a political science major. She elected to go straight to law school out of it, mm-hmm. out of Hopkins. And uh, and I decided that I was going to go work at a law firm in New York as a paralegal. So I did that. We both moved back. We were both from Westchester originally, didn't know each other but yeah. uh, before then. But she went straight to law school in New York and I went straight to work at a law firm. Did that for about 18 months. Loved it. Big law firm here in Manhattan mm. and had aspirations of going to law school and then the wine business kind of popped up. So I was going to say, so like when you're in college, did you um, – Besides the drinking we all do in college, you know, shots or whatever yeah. and, and beers. Did you, did lots of beers, yeah, lots of shots. Yeah. Did, did any wine come into play in college at all? You know, one of my first dates with my wife, Joy, we, you know, I remember we went to a, a restaurant called the Prime Rib in Baltimore and we ordered, a, you know, Santa Margarita Pinot Grigio, mm. which was kind of the thing to do back then in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was basically it. I mean, other than that, it was all like, you know, I remember spring break in the Bahamas where like Franzi in a box was passed around, but there, there was, there was nothing else in my life in terms of what I do now. Not at all. That's so, that's so crazy. So like, how did you get into wine then? So you worked, you were paralegal, 18 months, you enjoyed it. Yep. And uh, I had a friend, one of of the friends I grew up with, um, knew the lawyer for the company that represent, that owned Grapes the Wine Company. It was a a European-based company. And uh, he said they need someone to do kind of the administrative work. Uh, it sounded interesting. I was young. We, I was not married at the time. And, you know, my, my boss was based in London. The main owner was based in France. And I, I had never really traveled like that before. I'd never had that opportunity. So never been to Europe. Uh, and uh, I, I turned to Joy at the time. I said, I, I think I want to try this out. And she's like, well, you're just looking for an excuse to get out of law school. And I said, no, not at all. I'm going to do this for a year. And then now, 22 years later, I never went to law school. So. <sighs> A lot to unpack there. No, by the it way. is, but that's great. But I'm, I'm, I'm as someone who went to law school mm-hmm. and doesn't practice law. I'm like, yeah. good for you. And, and and but just so you got you started there. You were supposed to do the administrative stuff, right? Yep. So I was admin manager for about a year and a half, two years. Uh, I partner. I took a partnership interest with with those people. Um, and in 2002, I made a contractual agreement with them at that time. And then in 2004, I approached the old ownership and bought them out entirely. This is okay. So this is like this is really bananas right yeah. now. I'm, I'm, because <laughs> you know you, I'm doing, a, you I'm, asked for nothing in advance. I know, so. I know, no, no, I know. But I, I mean, there and I, which I don't want in advance. But like that's why people like because my listeners are like, how the fuck did this guy buy a wine store? Like, like because when he when I got his bio and it said he he's been, you know it said for the past twenty two years and I'm like, but like. You know, National Association of Wine Retails, and there's so many other things he's done. We're going to get to Supreme Court decisions. And like, and, and I know cats who've been in this fucking 30 plus years and still working at a store. Not there's anything wrong with that, but like, I, we got to unpack these moves. So you're doing admin stuff, but, um, obviously, it was a great opportunity. I mean, I think, you know, I, I remember taking my first trip to London in 2001, meeting my boss, loving it. Then I went to Burgundy later that year, again in 2002 to Burgundy. And you got like, the, you have like the storied yeah. wine story, right? Like, like, kind of, sort of. Yeah, like London, right? Cause, um, up until, uh, you know, it was that period in the 2000s when, when, um, you know, 
like, well, Acker started kind of taking over, but London was the wine auction sure. capital of the world. 110%. You know. And um, I got to meet all those people, like yeah. all the Christie's people, all the Sotheby's people. I mean, I got to meet all the people in New York back then. Uh, I, I mean, I was lucky in the opportunity that was presented to me and that I created for myself. Yeah, no. Um, I, I, I really appreciate it. So – what gave so you you're doing it? I love your wife. She's like she's drinking out of law school. Yeah. <laughs> I love law it. was in my blood, and it comes around <laughs> later. And what you talked about, and we'll get there. Supreme yeah. Court and NAWR yeah. and, and all that stuff. I mean, law was really my passion and my joy. And then, no pun intended, but you know, ultimately, I settled on wine. So, um, and this is delicious. Yeah, it's you know, it's like. For all the listeners out there who haven't tried white burgundy, it's just different. It just hits different. It, just, it is. And this is just basic Bourgogne Blanc. Yeah, it's right. coming from Chassagne. Nothing really special. And like I said, at the time when we were buying these wines in 2000, even 17 vintage, there was nothing quote unquote special about Lamy Cayat. Since in the last three or four years, all of a sudden we get collectors from all over the world who have found out, you know, Grapes the Wine Company has Lamy Cayat to sell. Yeah. Like, oh my God, you have Lamy Cayat. I'm like, well, that goes to people who bought it previously. Well, how can I get on that list? I'm like, you can't. You can't. But you can get on the next Lamy Cayat <laughs> list. I'm like, oh, okay. And then they move on. And right. Like, and, and again, this all started for me even back in the day, like, you know, obviously, if you're going back in the wine world, having no previous knowledge, yep. you know, in the early 2000s, I mean, I'm out in Vegas with my buddies having a good time and mm -hmm. I'm going to a steakhouse. I'm ordering a cool Bordeaux and I'm like, oh my God. And they're all like, this is great. And then you're drinking, you know, I remember having like my first full bottle of Cinequin on. I, be, I remember being in Newport, Rhode Island, coaching AAU girls basketball and drinking 1985 DRC Eshazo for $300 a bottle with my wife at the time, you know, girlfriend. We weren't, I don't even think we were engaged yet, um, which was a lot of money for us at that time. But they had 85 Latash for 600 bucks and 85 Eshazo for 300. I was like, God, 600 bucks is a lot of money. I can't, yeah. that's, that's a lot of money for me. So I ordered the Eshazo. I chickened out one of my biggest regrets, but like, you know, I've had a full bottle of DRC with her twice mm -hmm. since maybe. I mean, that just doesn't happen. Yeah, it doesn't happen anymore. Right. But yeah. you go to Newport and there we are coaching girls basketball for the weekend. It's like, well, let's order 85 Eshazo. Why not? Yeah. And, yeah. uh, but so, you know, our always angle has been back then, even, you know, California producers and we, and we've talked on the side a little bit about Washington state, which we can get to, but yeah. you know, we're always trying to find the next big yeah. thing. So, yeah. you know, I remember being in Vegas where I was going in 2002 and drinking Saxon. Yeah. Never heard of Saxon. Right, right. 2001, 2002, yep. whatever it was. And I call the winery and Justin Smith answers the phone and I don't know him. He doesn't know me. I'm like, where can I get your wines? He's like, oh, this is a distributor in New York. Call the distributor. Like, yeah, you can have as many cases as you want. Right. Saxon, right? Joe, you know, uh, Bone, what, Bone Rock. Bone Rock, right? Like, yep. they, no, nobody knew the nobody, wine. Like, right? I had a stack back and I, <laughs> I was in Florida visiting my grandfather at the time in Palm Beach and we go to a restaurant in a, in a mini mall, in a regular mall there. And I order Alban Seymour's Vineyard, 99 Ugh. Vintage, and I come back to New York. Where can I get the wine? Then I got a floor stack in the back of the store of Almond Seymour's, and I have clients this day. Was like, oh, thank you for introducing me to that wine. Yeah, and then it all comes full circle into the world of Burgundy. I mean, Bordeaux is harder to define, but Rhone, whatever it is, like, you know, we're not afraid to put our mouth there and say, this is the wine you want to buy. Yeah, and this was the wine we talked about for a few years, Lamy Cayat, and there's other Lamy Cayats coming down the pike. Yeah, so. I love <clears throat> stories like that. I mean, I was I was the first person to ever visit Gary Pisoni. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like and this was in 1999. 
Yeah. Um, Buddy uh, uh, had went to UCSB, was back in New York, um, and uh, – oh, actually, he moved back to California. And he sent me a bunch of wines, right? And I was working at, in Hoboken at Sparrows. And uh, sent me a bunch of Pasoni Pinots. Like, and Gary wasn't even making the wine. He was selling all the grapes off. You know, it was only hand- – and so like this is – you'll appreciate this. So it was 1999. I called information. <laughs> Like Google wasn't around in 1990, y'all, no, and no. no one even, and I didn't, I didn't even think, I didn't even know how to use it really. Like yep. that wasn't going on Yahoo. I googled. I said, I said, do you have a number for uh, Gary Pisoni? And I said, and I, I didn't know right now. Message pops yeah, up, right, right. Like, at yeah. the beep, you right. know. And like, and literally, yeah. And I called and left a, a voicemail on an answer machine. Exactly, just like you said, it was like you reach Pisoni Farms, whatever. You can't take the phone right now. And I leave, <laughs> leave a message. He calls me back. And I remember him saying, he's like, why do you want to come see me? I'm just a, I'm just a farmer, you know, and now, you know, it's Gary Pisoni, Gary, Gary freaking Pisoni. But, um, it is always for me, it was always about finding those things. And, yep. uh, and still like, you know, people follow my feed, you know, I'm always, I'm like trying, I'm always trying to break something and, and I'm looking for that thing. So I really appreciate that philosophy. And when you're talking about floor stacking of, uh, Alban, Alban just had a dinner with John Alban a couple weeks ago. And, um, but I remember like uh, – so we was out in Washington, right? And, you know, you can't get bionic frog. You can't get cayuche. Can't. Go to a fucking store in Walla Walla. They got a floor stack. Yep. Of course they <laughs> I remember I, I met uh, Matt Renvan at a Washington State consortium tasting here in New York in, in the bathroom stall. <laughs> like I was going to the bathroom. We started, I was like, oh, I love – you know, we just started talking. Like, yeah. I love your wines. And then I, I have a great relationship now with, the, you know, the Renvan family. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know you've had Todd Alexander on. Yep. Mm-hmm. I mean, force majeure. Like, you know, he came to me and yep. said, you know, I know you're big into Walla Walla and my wines are not in your store. Mm-hmm. And then ever since we forged a great relationship. Yeah. Oh, so Todd, yeah. So yeah. you actually – and you just get killer bottles. I was at, obviously I was out with Todd. Shout out. We went to dinner and he had that crazy Barolo. Sandrone Vivitala. Which is not like, ugh, Again, you, I mean, a wine you don't see. Dude, mind blown. And, and I remember he said, he said, Oh, I got that from, uh, Dan at Crepes Wine Company. So I sent you the, the yeah. picture. <laughs> he, he specifically asked for it. I mean, we've hung out a bunch of times and he's great and, and Carrie's great and they're awesome people. And he, he actually asked, I was like, I, I you know, we don't get a lot of that wine, yep. obviously, but. Yep. You know, when you look at the total production, we get a lot of the wine. Right. But that's from years of forging a relationship with Barbara Sangeroni and before that with, with her father and, and now obviously with the importer. And, you know, when they say to us, hey, there's a new Barolo coming out from Sangeroni, do you want it? We're like, we want everything. Yeah, give me all. Yeah, give me everything. Yeah. We'll figure yeah, out yeah. the rest after. All right. So um, you figured out pretty quickly, like, you really like this business. You're like, there was yeah. something like – I mean, like – to go to London to meet your boss, it's so cool. And then, yeah. and then you're, in, and then you're in Burgundy. This is like all inside of like your first two or three years in the business. Yeah. Within two years, I was in all these places. Yeah. Uh, and so I was in Bordeaux by my third year for the first time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, I mean, this boys and girls, this, this is not typical. <laughs> it was like, no. results are not typical. <laughs> <laughs> you may experience frustration. <laughs> Lots of bad bottles of wine and not as good meals as Dan has had. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 100% fat. But um, I, I just getting to know you just right now, I can see why um, it has happened because, um, you know, 
well, one, your dad was an entrepreneur. So being raised by an entrepreneur, what's that like being raised by an entrepreneur, right? Yeah. Cause you said your dad was a headhunter. I didn't even know what a headhunter was. Yeah. I mean, so headhunter, you know, he, he had, he had his own employment agency and, and he found, you know, he was a consultant finding jobs for people, you know, before there was monster and indeed and whatever mm-hmm. else. And that's what he did. And, you know, my, as I tell people, my father was probably the smartest person I ever met. And obviously it's a bit of a cliche. Everybody always says that, but he was a guy, you know, he grew up in New York, graduated high school when he was 16, um, for reasons that probably still can't ascertain a hundred percent wanted out of New York, out of his mm-hmm. family as fast mm-hmm. as possible, wanted mm-hmm. to go to the West coast. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as we were told much later, he wanted to go to Cal Berkeley. That was his dream. He settled on University of Denver, DU, mm-hmm. and that's where he went. He graduated college at 20 and came Damn. back to New York. Um, and I don't really, you know, it's hard to gather information on that time period in his life. Right. Um, and then, you know, he got married when he was 30 um, to my mother. Um, but there's certainly like there's, there's gaps in all of that yeah. for us. But, yep. you know, growing up with him and and – and talking with him and having dinner with him, like he was a huge part of our lives. The great part about, you know, him having his own small business, like he was at every sporting event. He coached me in soccer, you know, coached all of us in soccer, my two brothers and I. He was just always there. You know, he had a nine to five job, five o'clock kid. He was out the door. If we had a high school football game or high school basketball game was obviously during the week or high school soccer game for my brothers. Like he was there. If it was a four o'clock game. He was there. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So it was, it was a very important person in that and and he just instilled you know confidence in what we did and he made sure we were well read well educated uh in everything perhaps except wine Mm -hmm. um but you know he he was he he watched every movie every sporting event read every book whether it was nonfiction, fiction Mm -hmm. historical you name it and i'd sit there reading i remember the sports page and i'd read like the local the the daily news or the at the time was called the report dispatch which was the gannett paper in westchester he's like can you read the new york times sports section you're going to get smarter reading the new york (laughs) times sports section it's 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 much more real and it's tougher for you and and that was when you were like 10 11 12 years old that wasn't when i was 18 yeah that's when Things weren't at yeah. a third grade reading level. Yes. And he was like, these are the, you know, it's great to read, you know, the daily news on a Sunday, but you, re- you need to read the New York Times every day. And I don't care whether you read the sports or the main, but you know, you want to read what they have to write. These are real journalists. So, you know, he instilled that in my brothers and I, you know, and my mother was a great woman. And as I mentioned, she was a teacher and, mm-hmm. you know, and they were both, you know, into the educational foundation of, of all three of us and it just carried through. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it just seems like there was, there was purpose in what mm-hmm. happened in your household. Yes. Um, which is really cool. I mean, which you, I'm sure you're very grateful for. Um, so, um, and that's what I was trying to put it. So, so as a, a, after, so after four years, so when did you get the idea? Like, I want to buy this thing. Like how, how did, you know, so, so, you know, I, I went through, you know, high school and I go to college yep. and, and, it, and it's interesting and, and, and we'll go back there, but my parents died while I was in college. Oh, geez, so that man. was like a big gap there. And so, you know, even when I was applying to colleges, like my father always envisioned me on the lawyer side, but more like on the engineering side, I was a good math student. He's like, you're going to go to an engineering oh, you're school a patent and turn, you're going to, yeah. So you're going to figure that all out. And <laughs> yep. so I, I had yep. no idea what I wanted to do. So I'm applying to a bunch of universities and some applying to engineering school and some I'm applying to the arts and sciences. And then, you know, I remember getting, you know, when I got the acceptance back from Hopkins, it was the arts and sciences school. I was like, you didn't apply to the school of engineering. I'm like, no. And then Columbia comes back and 
uh, I'm in there. And he's like, but that's the school of engineering. He's like, well, I don't understand. You know, because our parents gave us kind of autonomy. Mm-hmm. I'm like, for me, it was like throwing darts. I didn't know what I wanted. Mm-hmm. So some schools I'm applying to engineering. Some schools I'm applying to arts and sciences. And some, you know, I don't know. And he was like, I, I thought we had a deal. You were going to go to engineering school. I'm like, well, dad, you know, you thought I was. And I probably will. You know, Hopkins, you know, who knew? Mm-hmm. Um, but we'll see. I, I'm not sold on this and I didn't know where I wanted to go to school. My, I had an older brother who went to an Ivy League school and all the while I was told I was going to go to the same school and it only came really into it when I got rejected from that school early decision. It was like I had to rebound on things and be like, "Where you know, now I got to find a school. I didn't visit any of the schools except where he went. Harvard or Yale? It was Penn. Penn. So, damn, yeah, damn, damn. Yeah. So I was <laughs> to Pennsylvania and it was like, you know, and and, and I was, look, that, that was the whole school. Even, you know, I remember before the early decision came back, my mother got me a sweatshirt. Ah, I was like, yeah. Here, put it on. Yeah, yeah. Like your, your and then I get it. it. And it was like I was deferred and, and everyone was kind of stunned. Right. And I was like, all right, well, well now what do I do? And it was like I, was, I had this whole list of schools and even like UVA was on my list. And then the deadline had passed. I'm like, well, I guess I won't go to UVA. Mm-hmm. And then it was like a host of others. And, and I looked a little bit at sports, not too much, but I loved playing football and basketball. So then we started playing that angle. Well, where can I play football, mm-hmm. right? And it was mm-hmm. like I started looking at some Ivy Leagues, started looking at Division three schools. Mm-hmm. And, you know, But that was not a focus in my house at all. Athletics was a big part of what we did. Yeah. My parents were not into that. And growing, at, growing up in Armand, coaches were not into college that much for athletics, unfortunately. Now it's a whole different world. Wow. Um, so they didn't push that angle. So you're just kind of on your own on an island to figure things out, mm-hmm. which was fine. It mm-hmm. worked. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, there I was and I was looking at a variety of schools and I remember looking at some great football schools and then some not so great football schools and some great academics and whatever it was. And then I, you know, and there it was in March, I got into Hopkins and I hadn't heard back from even Penn yet, which mm-hmm. was still my number one choice. Mm-hmm. And they were basically like, well, you're going to go to Hopkins. Like, that's, that's where you're going. And then, of course, I got rejected basically from every Ivy League school I applied to, um, which was fine. And I got into some other great schools and then just centered on Hopkins. Yeah. But then I then I had this English teacher, Mr. Pryor, who said to me at the time, like, you know, and I remember he was a Colgate grad everywhere in the in his in his uh, Colgate Colgate, Colgate. schoolroom was yeah. banners for Colgate. Yeah. And he, he's like, Dan, I need to talk to you. I'm like, all right. So after class one day, he's like, you don't want to go to John's Hopkins. <laughs> like, what do you mean? And he, and he knew me and yep. knew my style and yep. who I was. Yep. I was like a fun guy. I yep. like to, you know, I was reasonably intelligent, but I liked that. He's like, you won't last there. And and the, and the big elephant was like Tulane was always the dream school for me. My parents were like, you're not applying to Tulane. Oh, down in New Orleans? Yeah. Yeah, the real like, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were like, you are not yeah, going yeah. to that school. I visited yeah. with them when I was 13. They're like, you will flunk out. We'll see you back first after first semester. They wouldn't even let me apply to Tulane. So, you know, I had to narrow the fo- – and, and he was like, you are not a Johns Hopkins University type of student. Mm-hmm. Like this will be the end of you. You will – and I was like, well. You know what? It's a great school. I'll figure it out from there. And I, and I did. And I, like, I met some of my greatest friends. I met mm-hmm. my wife and, you know, Baltimore is a great city and the school is outstanding. And, but it's, it's different for everybody. I mean, there's the educational side and then there's a little bit of the fun side and then there's whatever you, yeah. you make of it. Yeah. So. So and then there's no wine side and there. At there's all. no wine side. <laughs> there could be booze if you want it to be. And there was for me. Yeah. But not everybody. Oh my God. Um, my wife, um, she lost – she was raised by a single father and she lost him when she was 17. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I, my parents just passed away recently. Well, uh, my dad in 2012, my, in 2019. I can't imagine being your age and, I, like, yeah. and to lose both your parents. Like, Yeah, it was tough. I, that's yeah, it that's was... just 
I mean, uh, I just want to just say you have uh, – they raised you well because you have some fortitude. You've done so much like – but that – people don't get like – I couldn't even I – couldn't, I couldn't copper in my wife's situation. And I met her in college. Mm. Um, and then when – until my parents, I'm like, man, you did this? Like I'm like – I was 51 when my mom <laughs> died, man. And I was messed up, right? Yeah. Like so – um, I mean, you're messed up whenever you lose your mother, right? Yeah. I mean, that's yeah. the real, I mean, I lost my mom before I lost my dad. Uh, my dad got sick first. My mom got cancer and went faster. Um, and I remember, you know, like I said, I was in college and I remember getting the phone call my sophomore year when my father collapsed on a soccer field mm. watching my younger brother play, you know, high school soccer. They're like, they didn't know what was wrong. And as it turned out, it was kidney failure and he needed dialysis and, and whatever. Uh, and then I remember my mother, um, a year later, so my father was going through dialysis and then my mother, a year later, I remember Thanksgiving weekend sitting us down. And at the time my older brother had just graduated, he was out of college at that point. My younger brother was still in high school for both of them. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, tough enough, you know, tough for me, tough for, for him. Yeah. Um, and I remember them sitting down and, and she was a, you know, like I said, she was a middle school teacher in the Bronx, still working. <clears throat> And she was like, I've been diagnosed with cancer, but they say I should be okay, blah, blah, blah. And and six months later, well, you know, I shouldn't say six. That's wrong. But eight months later, she died. Six yeah. months later, we knew she was going to die. Yeah. Um, and that and that was hard. I mean, really. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, my like, I guess when I look back on age for her, I mean, I was twenty one when she passed away. Twenty two when my dad passed away. Yeah. Like it's it's. You know, and, and those things change you. Yeah, and you're a kid. Like now that I'm older, like, <clears throat> like you realize you're a kid at 21 oh. and 22. Like you don't know shit. You think you know shit, but like you're yeah. a kid. And and no one plans for you for this, right? right? I mean, my right. parents weren't planned for this. Like right. they, it kind of hit them, and like here we have this house in Armonk, and you know my dad's living there by himself, and I'm visiting even from college, trying to visit as much as I can. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he had stopped working for a few years. Um, I've got my younger, you know, like I said, my older brother at that point had gotten married, but my younger brother's, you know, entering college. And, and then they both pass. And, and I came back, I graduated college. You know, my father was like in a wheelchair at my graduation. Mm. And, and one of the reasons why I wanted to come back to New York was to spend time with him. Mm -hmm. You know, it seemed like he was going to be okay. Like he was doing well. Mm -hmm. And, um, or I shouldn't say that he was doing well up in like a few months earlier. But then we knew it turned south right before my graduation. And I moved back home with him. And it was, you know, we were in this quote unquote big house by ourselves. You know, like, like I said, I got my brother who's my older brother's married, my younger brother's in college. And, and then he dies. Mm. And and I lived in that house by myself. I was working in the law firm in New York, commuting into the city, and it was, it was pretty awful. That's gotta be dark, man. I mean <laughs> I, I mean that's tough. An understatement. Yeah. I mean and same, both my parents had a cancer too. I mm -hmm. fucking hate cancer. Yeah. No, it's terrible. I mean, my father ultimately was, you know, he had a, he had a kidney transplant gone south at the time. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, my mother was, was uterine cancer. And at the time she, and again, these are all parents don't tell you these things when you're young. We, we, we still don't know like why it was, it was inoperable first. Right. She went through dialysis and chemo. Everything right. seemed to be good. And then right. all of a sudden it was like, by the way, guys, I'm dying. Yeah. And I've got a month to live. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and that's how, you know, we, that's how it was presented to us and we uh -huh. dealt with it. And, you know, she died in July of 98. My father died in September of 99. Yeah, that's crazy. Yep. So, um, and I think it would just make you think, I mean, when, when that happens, you just think, 
you know, when my mom passed, I started thinking about my life, what I want to do with it. You start, you start thinking about those things, right? hundred percent. You know, um, so, um, yeah. And I think I always want to be a lawyer and I continued on that path. Right. Like I said, and then when this was presented, as, as I tell everybody, I mean, I used to tell the story more back then, but I mean, I would never have gotten into this business if my parents were alive. They would have never, <laughs> my father would have stopped me and been like, you're out of your mind. You're destined to. Right. Practice law. Mm -hmm. This is what you were made to do, quote mm -hmm. unquote. And, and he wouldn't have necessarily enforced it, but there would have been that. That pressure would have been there. I mean, and it, rightfully so. Right. Not a bad pressure, right. just a reality pressure of like, you're going to go work in a liquor store right. in Rye, New York. Like, I know. What the hell are you doing? <laughs> like, this is not, this is not what you're cut out to be. We didn't spend, you know, four years of tuition dollars at Hopkins for you to ring up bottles of vodka, right? And, and I totally get that. Yep. And it wasn't what I anticipated doing, but it's ultimately what I, you know, right. fell in love with. Now, th that being said, <clears throat> I remember when I got in the business, 97, Acker, and I heard about this guy, Robert Parker, who had been an attorney. And uh, and I saw, like, like as a wine critic or someone who tastes wine, the legal training of doing research and 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 law, when you have to distinguish cases, what makes this case different, what, what, what the points. So, like, do you think – just that mind, you said you have like a mathematical engineering mind. Does that, has that helped you um, when you're tasting wine, selecting wines, help you break down things? Do you think you look at things differently? I, I think especially – I remember going to Bordeaux for the first time and that was – you know, I went to Burgundy before Bordeaux. But I remember being you know, in, Bur in Bordeaux in 2004 and you're tasting a ton of wines every day and I'm with very experienced people. Um, in the trade and we're going. And you're only in the business for four years yeah, at this point. Yep. Th even three, three actually, yeah, three yeah, plus, yeah. not quite. That's right because it's November yeah, 1st. Was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, I'm A, the youngest person doing this and B, the least experienced. So I've got a, a, a double whammy and, and I'm tasting with these people. And I, and I remember tasting, you know, at every great chateau and walking out and they're all like, hey, you know, what, what did you think, Daniel? And respectfully, they want to know mm -hmm. opinions. I want to know theirs. Um, but yes, I took a mathematical approach early on the wine business, even from a sales standpoint. Mm -hmm. But then a tasting standpoint, you still you're looking at the glass, like you know, and coming from that novice point of view, like why do I want to taste this wine again? Why do I want mm -hmm. to drink this wine again? What makes it so good? And to this day, 22 years later, I, I still don't have the answers to that I just know when I put something in the glass, I know whether I want to go back to it. I know when I'm in. The seller of whatever, you know, domain or chateau or winery in Napa, whatever it is, and I'm tasting out a barrel, I know immediately, like my instincts tell me. Um, and, and, and obviously it's a, you know, probably a bit of like arrogance in the wine business, a bit of confidence, whatever you call it. I, I know what I like. Mm -hmm. And I'm thinking based on my history and where I came from in the wine business, what I like is what every customer I have theoretically should like. Mm -hmm. Like that's not in an arrogant way, but I don't come from that experience of like at age 10, I wasn't being poured wine at the table. Like I'm coming from, you know, I'm shotgunning beers at a Jets tailgate. You know, in yep. the early 2000s with my buddies, you know, Bush Light 30 packs. Like, this is where I was and this is – and that worked for me. So does this work for me too? Yeah. And that's – so I, I took that approach so I can recognize or try to recognize what I think is greatness at whatever level. It doesn't have to be great for $800 or $8,000. It could be great for $8, right? Right. And right. That's, that's the beauty of wine. It's so yep. subjective. So we're – you know, I'm trying to find what I – you know, I, I'm not drinking – you know, great, quote unquote, really expensive wine. I'm not 
John Capon, right. who I love and I've been friends with for <laughs> that, years. That like, dude's got the right, life. Right, talk, he, right. talk about the life. So, like. <laughs> you know, I've known him a long time, and and but that that that's not my world. You right? know what he told me when I because I knew John from like right. hip hop. He was like, um, he was like. You'll come work with me, man. You'll drink the finest wines on a nightly basis. And John does that slow drop. Like, yeah. I'm like, that's, that's, no, that's how he talks. Mm. And so I had some. Still talks that way. Right? I know. I mean, he's yeah. still. Yeah. But like, you know, my first three months of the wine business, I had, had Petrus, mm -hmm. uh, DRC. Sure. Freaking Screaming Eagle. This was in 97. Yeah. yeah, right? yeah. Like everything. Like, like, so, um, but yeah. And he was a guest season one too. Right. Yeah. But like, I look at his and I'm like, that dude flies around the world drinking. Yep. Kosh and great and, and DRC. Yep. And it's, and then, then, you know, it works crazy Italians, but, but yeah. basically it's so much burgundy <laughs> and champagne <laughs> and champagne. lots yeah, of yeah, champagne. Yeah. Salon. Right. Uh, but those are always the things back in the day when I'd get invited to those events and a lot of them would be like husbands and wives. Like my wife couldn't stand going to those events. She'd, she'd meet people in, the, in that world and she'd be like, I don't want to go back. Well, that's my wife, right? Like, yeah. so like my wife, like, she's like, man, she doesn't want to go to these things. But then like, I'm like, like I'm got invited to something tomorrow night over down at Tribeca. I'm like, I'm like, listen, this is a burgundy thing. I can bring you. Yep. You should come just so, cause, yeah. cause like, she doesn't like, like, this is the gig. This is what I do. I talk to people and drink wine. I got to go talk to people and drink wine. So like, but yeah, she also kind of sometimes like, um, unless like it's a region, shout out to Walla. It's so down to yeah. earth where yep. like she likes salt, like, but anytime she, she just like we have different. I'm sorry. What's your wife's name? Pamela. Pamela. So for, for Pamela and for my wife, Joy, it's, it's, it's less about the wine, yeah. but more about the experience. She's like, Am I going to be miserable in that room? <laughs> like she doesn't care how great – she's assuming the wine is already going to be right, great. Right, just a level right, great. Right. She's like, am I going to sit there? And, and we did – and it goes back to Sandroni. Years ago, we did a dinner um, at uh, La Pizza Fresca, which was open back then in, in, in Manhattan. And we did a Sandroni dinner on my birthday night. Mm. And I scheduled it Happy because, birthday to you. you know, but it was like – I was like, look, I got to do this dinner. It's on my birthday. No big deal. This is about – I don't call it eight mm -hmm. years ago or so. And I was like – it's it's totally good. I don't want to turn down the dinner op. You know, Sandroni's in town and it's going to be a great event and, and I want to do it. And she was like, well, you know, I want to go. It's your birthday night. I'm like, look, do not feel compelled to do that. And then she went and she was so miserable. I mean, she's in a room with, you know, call it 50 people and it's 45 guys on yeah. a Tuesday that's night a whole all in too, suits yeah. from yeah, work. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, I can't, you know, and we got in the car and she's like, that sucks. <laughs> And I was like, I told you not to go. Of course it sucked. It's like, wh wh who were you going to talk to there? Like, you're, you know, you're not even that into Barolo. She loves Barbera. Right. She loves Burgundy, <laughs> but she's not even I'm like, so the wines were good for you. Like, and then, you know, and she's like, you weren't even sitting with me. I'm like, I had to work the room. I yeah. And you got to work the room. Like, yeah. You know, and, and I, and I warned you. And, and so she generally shies away from things, probably similar to Pamela. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's what, and, and that's okay too, right? Yeah. I, I shy away from things from her. So yeah, so that's so great. But like, so three, so less than three years, pretty much, because you became the managing director in two thousand and four. Yep. Um, and it sounds like grapes because it had friend. Uh, uh, one of the owners was in London. Like, was their philosophy always about going out and buying direct from producers initially, or was? Or, I think or, it was a you know. Was, so the history of of the ownership of grapes was you know a London broker, kind of your typical what you'd 
throw now like Bordeaux Index and mm-hmm. Fine and Rare Wines are pretty big now. Far Vintners and Berry Brothers. Yep. They were in that genre, just gotcha. a smaller version. I remember, you know, Bordeaux Index and them were probably about the same size back then. Um, you know, their niche was, you know, certainly a lot of Bordeaux, a little bit of Burgundy, some strong Italian, um, not necessarily finding the no-name stuff, but just selling Fine and Rare mm-hmm. Wine. And back then – Finding rare wine could be anything. Like it could be, you know, Screaming Eagle from California, which was up and coming, and it it could be, you know, Coasterie back then. And even, you know, in those days, it was like DRC. You'd go to the supplier and be like, "Hey, can I get a few more bottles?" They'd be like, oh, "Okay, sure." Yeah, you know, like yeah. nobody was buying those wines, nope. and you know, Russo and Meunier and whatever it was, like you know, you could get more. So they were. We, you know, we had a selection that was great. Rhone was a big rising star at that point. I remember when I started, you know, Pagao de Capo. 98 was the first vintage. I started in 2000. So we were selling de Capo on futures at that point. And nobody had heard of Pagao de Capo except Parker, you know, had given mm-hmm. it 100 points and everybody wanted it. And it was, you know, de Capo, I think that first year was, I don't know, 60, 80 bucks a bottle. It was like, oh, great. I'll, I'll get this exclusive new Chateauneuf de Pop. So, you know, they were kind of on the cutting edge of that, which was great and afforded me great opportunities, like I said, to meet people and to taste wines. Um, and, they, and they took a somewhat aggressive approach in that and then a more aggressive approach in, you know, Bordeaux futures and like – but it was definitely, you know, a little bit lesser of what I was doing but in the same world. You know, he was – they were definitely into finding the next star just as I am. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I so, mean I learned a lot back then. It was great. Uh, clearly. To your point, I was six weeks in. I can tell you our holiday dinner was all four employees at the time. Um, you know, and it was two from Europe and they weren't really employees. And we went to dinner at Sparks <laughs> and, and they pour me blind. And so I'm, into, I'm 20, what, 23 years old. Every wine is off the wine list blind. And they're like, oh, what do you think it is, Daniel? As if I fucking know right. what it is. Like, I'm really, I, I don't know. It's red wine. I have no idea. I've been in the business six weeks. Like, I was drinking Pinot Grigio out of a straw two months ago. And, you know, and, and it was 85 La Mission Obreon. Jesus. Right? And they just poured, you know, whatever it was off the list. Right. And it was, I was like, I, I don't know. Um, so, and those were the opportunities yep. that, that were afforded me, which was great. Yep. So, a little backwards, like, I got to drink absurd vintages of Lafitte. I mean, I, you know, and you name your Burgundy and, you know, any any event I went to, I was drinking great wine. Yep. And it was fun. Yep. And it was awesome. Yep. But, and, and it's still great to this day. But, though, you know, it really, as great as that was, it wasn't what drove my passion. Like, yeah. it's a, like la, finding the next Lamy Cayenne, yep. that's mm-hmm. what I love to do. Mm-hmm. That's what, when you go to Burgundy and you go wherever you go and you go to Walla Walla, like, and you taste with a guy like Todd Alexander and you're like, Th- this is this is what's happening. Mm-hmm. This is what I want to be mm-hmm. a part of. Mm-hmm. Something special that's here on the rise, mm-hmm. not that's something that's plateaued. Yeah, and and I think that's the thing. Like, you know, when and uh, like I tell people, say like, how do you pick a bottle of wine? Like, well, get, first, if you get to know importers, right? So very simple. I mean, Kermit Lynch, okay, yep. Kermit Lynch, Vineyard Brands, Skernick, you know, uh, you know, or uh, back Mark DeGrazzi, you know, you know, you know, back in the day, Terry Thies. You get to know, you get to know people's selection. Eric Solomon, you get to know. You start there, right? Because like an Eric Solomon, Eric Solomon has fucking ridiculous twelve dollars bottle of wine. We're talking like Jeb Dunnick ninety five, ninety six is twelve dollars, like ludicrous wines, yep. right? So like you said, it's not always the most expensive wine. Um, so start there, right? But then, then you get to know. Appalachians, right? Well, this vineyard's actually, this is in Shoshone, and it's mostly Shoshone fruit, but it, because it's two inches over here, yep. it's gotta be a Burgundian, you see, yep. right? 
And then it's like winemakers, right? Like fucking Todd Alexander worked, you know, at, at all these cult wineries in California. And he's like, well, I'm going to go up northwest, you know, like, why does this guy keep getting these incredible wines, right? Cause, and that's, but that's where you start. And then I also tell people, find a good retailer and go talk to them. Yep. Hundred percent, and I think you know. Even you mentioned and Jeb Dunnick's a good friend of mine, really good friend. I mean, we, we we supplied his wines at his home in Thanksgiving this year. He sent me an email like three days out. He's like, "Can you ship a few magnums of Chateauneuf?" Which is kind of fun. But you know, I met Jeb. Jeb, sorry, Jeb. I met Jeb. Um, you know, on probably the bulletin boards, whatever, back in the day, and he had the Rhone report. Yeah, the Rhone report. We got to be friendly. Yep. And he, you know. In his original, in the Rhone Report world, like people weren't sending him samples. Like he wasn't, wineries weren't like, oh, we got to send Jeb Dunnick wines. Right, right. So he'd be like, Daniel, mix up a case. I'll pay you. Yeah. And he was like, whatever you think is good. You know, he was working yep. at the time in the he, aviation like world. A rocket science yeah. or something. And, and, you know, out in Colorado. Yep. And he's like, just, just mix up a case. I need to fill out this report. T- send me what you think is good. I totally, whatever, whatever you think, here's the budget. And I would send it to him. And we remained. Good friend since, which which is awesome. He's and, and and I respected his palate because, you know, again, similar to me, and you know, he wanted to learn. Yeah. Right. And and yep. and he has an awesome palate, and yep. he has a tremendous foundation of knowledge and all that. And he takes that engineering almost background to it, yep. and he dissects it all, and it's awesome. Now he hasn't given me any feedback on his Thanksgiving wines, other than thanks for sending me. They were good. So well, maybe I, maybe I, I screwed think, up. I think but, he kind of listens. Yeah, <laughs> on a sneak but, tip. But, 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 uh, <laughs> But, you know, all those guys, even, even you know, early in my days, I went to an event with Robert Parker. I remember it was a, a, a huge uh, it was Chateauneuf or Bordeaux event in New York. It was like 100 people in the room. And, and you know, he's talking about all the wines. And then he turns in the room. He's like, well, D- Daniel, what do you think of the wines? And I was like, oh, my God. Robert Parker is asking Daniel Posner what he thinks of the wines. This is so odd. Like, I mean, maybe I was – 27 at the time. I have no idea. Um, which was kind of cool because yeah. I was like still really young in this business. I mean, I'm still relatively young in this business and that was a long time ago. Um, but, you know, you learn that all these people, even the critics, like, you know, they're, 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 they're people. Yeah. I mean, I know you had Josh Reynolds on the show. Another group. I mean, these guys are people. Like yeah. they, they, they want to learn. They want to educate themselves. It's what they do. They don't know everything and they don't claim to know everything. Right, right. I'm, I've had... Two of the MWs, both Lisa Granick and Mary yep. Moon, they're like, I can't know anything about wine. I mean, <laughs> this is the highest distinction you have. And they're like, I'm, I'm, nope. you know, and then, but you could be, you could be on Instagram with your WCT1 talking about your wine educator, which always cracks me yep. up. <laughs> yep. Never will ever, ever had the wines that guys like I've had on because just, and, and a lot of it is just price. Like, like, like you said, like, like $300 was a stretch back then. That bottle's worth what? $10,000 now? Or not worth, well, well not I, worth what it sells for. Let's put it away. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, mean and, and I go back, 885 Latash. God, it's painful to think. And I asked oh. them at the time, I was like, well, I'm going to order the Eshazo. Do you think you'll sell me a Latash to go? Because I knew in my head I could sell it. Yeah. And they're like, no, you have to drink it here. <laughs> and, I, and I turned to, I mean, I think it was like $585. I'm like, I, I just can't do 600 bucks a bottle. Uh, like, your father doesn't pay us anything to coach basketball. So, but, <laughs> you know, we're going we're gonna, we're gonna to suck it up with Eshazo. But, you know, it is it, it is what it is. I mean, it's, it, but it, it's the beauty of wine. And, and look, and, and people like Aubert de Villane, they, they didn't think. They didn't have the vision that their wine would end no. up like that. I mean, you, you, you hang out with Christian Moex, who's, there's no one in the wine business more salt of the earth than Christian Moex. Yeah. I mean, he tells the greatest stories. I mean, if you ever get a chance. Yeah, to I met him show, at like, New York Wine Experience. Yeah. I got to get him next time he comes he, to town. He is He's like, amazing. I mean, you know, he tell like, 
I mean, he'll tell you stories of like he worked for his father's chateau, which was Chateau Petrus in the 70s. <laughs> He's outside the cellars with holding out a glass of wine as people are driving by and, and they're like, here, do you want to do a free tasting of our chateau? And people are like, no, thanks. And then, you know, I, we, he's like, you know, and, and he's like, no, nobody wanted our wine in the seventies. He's like, you don't know what's going to happen. Michael Capon used to give away cases of Petrus in the seventies yeah, because yeah. no one wanted. It. Yep. No, nobody no. wanted DRC. No one wanted Petrus. We had a client who sold us. Year, I mean, I'm going back about fifteen ish years ago. He bought a case of sixty one Petrus from Sherry Lehman in 1966. I think it was for four ninety nine a bottle. He had two bottles left. He's like, I'm never going to drink these. Just sell them. I mean, five bucks a bottle in the 60s. Five and so in the 70s, it hadn't gone up much more no, than that. So no. it was only – and even Christian will tell you, it was only in the 80s. When, when, when Bob Parker came along, he put Pomerol on the map. Yeah. And yeah. even then, Pomerol on the map meant it went to $25 a bottle. Yeah. Like it wasn't yeah. like, oh my God, it's $1,000 a bottle. It went to 25 So yeah. it's yeah. – you know, it's crazy. I mean, even even you know the world of Burgundy, whatever it is, it's you, you, you kind of don't know. But to your back to your point of like, if you find importers you trust, you find retailers you trust, perhaps they know, but they're hard to find. Yeah, yeah. You know what? This is a good point to take a quick break. We have to take a quick break. We'll be back in just a few seconds, everybody. Okay, we're back. Back with uh, Dan Posner, Grapes Wine Company. And what I want to talk about, like, because we were talking about critics, um, and what is your, like, I think, uh, there's this whole generation that attacks critics and like, ah, um, I have always found them to be guideposts. I, I know I have my palate, but, but they kind of, it's kind of like the cliff notes or, uh, uh, like, they can point you in directions, right? You know, like reading all these critics. What's your thought? Because, like you said, you're, you know, you, 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 know, you deal with Jeb, you, you know, Bob Parker asked you, you know, like, how, and we both know Josh, who's crazy, incredible. <laughs> Best Instagram page ever. Yeah. Anyone, oh everyone should God. follow him. Oh my God. Everybody, he's private. Everybody <laughs> should follow If you're follow. looking for fast food, right? Oh my Josh Reynolds God. is your guy. Listen, <laughs> fuck all that stupid, <laughs> those stupid shows on Netflix. <laughs> Josh knows all. Yeah, exactly. Like, like there's this, there's this brother who like he's like, mm, he's like, ooh, 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 like, like ten million, twenty million views on YouTube. Got a show on Netflix. Nothing on Josh. One of the top wine critics in the world yeah. eating hot Cheetos mac and cheese at three o'clock in the morning. Three o'clock in the morning. First in line for the McRib, <laughs> and second in line. Seven Eleven pizza. <laughs> I, I don't like how I don't. And the beauty do. of someone like Josh is, I mean, the guy has such a tremendous palate. I know. Everything, food, wine, yeah. alcohol. Yeah. Like he knows. Like you could sit there and, and and you could sit there and ask him the six cheeses on the plate, and he'll know them all. No, that's how I, I mean. Meant, and, yeah. and it's it, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And then you're like, did you just post a picture at Taco Bell? Yeah, totally. And you're like, is that real? But yeah. it's tremendous. That's why I said. I said he's no influence. Yeah. He's not even. Why well, he wouldn't waste? Fortunately, he's not an influencer. Eight dollars on. At Taco Bell, just do a picture, okay? He really actually <laughs> spent his eight dollars yes. going to eat that. Yep. Um, but that's the thing. Like, I got uh, it was Mark Adams of Ledge, um, who who was like, "You need to get Josh Reynolds on the podcast." And uh, he's like, "He's like that guy is the most intelligent." He's like, yep. "You could be like you, the most." He's like, "He's like you could be like um, you could just throw out a top." He's like. Mating habits of Tibetan llamas. Go. And Josh will tell you Edward. the mating habits of Tibetan llamas. And you fact check that shit. Yeah. It's real. Uh, he, he's a bit 
I mean, I mean, obviously younger than my father would be, but he is about as intelligent as my father. Yeah. Like in terms of just a wealth of knowledge on almost anything, yeah. I felt like I could ask my father anything yeah, at the answer. Right. I feel the same way yeah, about Josh yeah, Reynolds. Yeah. But you know, crit- critics serve a great purpose. I think as it's like everything else. If you find ones you can trust, mm-hmm. they're good people, and 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 generally speaking. They're, they're knowledgeable, and, and I've been afforded the opportunity to meet and know a lot of them, and certainly in my line of work at Grapes, the wine company, like, you know, we find usefulness for, for wine critics, starting with their ratings and their mm-hmm. tasting notes mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and what they do. I mean, we can't seemingly taste every wine. We mm-hmm. try really hard to do mm-hmm. so, but we can't. So we, we certainly look for guidance, and whether it's an importer or a critic or, or something along those lines – um, but, you know, they've done a lot of good. And, and when you look back over the years, they certainly did a lot of great. But, you know, here we are now in a whole new generational side of things in the wine world. And, and it's been, you know, you could see it coming for about the 15, about the last 15 years. Mm-hmm. And, and I certainly, you know, as I became more confident in what I do, I pushed back against critics and I continue to do so. Sure. I, even though I'm friends with them, they, yeah. they know my angst. Like, yeah. Yep. Look, you know, Everything's can be inflated and, you know, it's certainly happened in, in, in publications, but, you know, dialing it back, you know, and Wine Spectator is a, a great example of like, you know, their, their rating scale has never been really all that inflated. I mean, even though people never. question it, you, know, dude, you don't see a hundred points dude, in the Spectator dude, dude. and you rarely see you 90. See, you, listen, you see 93. Yeah. You might want to buy that one. Yeah, no, 100%. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. like, and like I've, a, I've figured that out. Like I yep. figured out. I'm like, if James Mulder gave that 93, yep. oh, that's like a 97 and that's, from Jeff. And that's, thir- <laughs> and that's 30, 40 years of you know maybe you know I don't know who if the credit goes to Marvin Shankin or each individual critic, but you know to their credit, they've kept a reasonable right. a reasonable barometer. And right. I think, you know, someone like Jeb who's now on and out on his own and you have Antonio Galoni who I also yep. know pretty well like, you know, hopefully as the years go on, they go in the direction where they they don't feel compelled to give out well, the ratings I mean, over time. Whereas, I mean, I think with bringing on Audrey, yep. like Audrey now covers California. Yep. I, I told you about you about to take a hit. Yep. I told you about California. As you about to take a yep. hit, don't freak out. I was like Audrey has a way different palate than yep. Jeb. Yep. Like, and I know I have a good friend of mine, like, like who got like a ninety nine, like a couple years from Jeb, and like, like I think the highest Audrey game was like ninety two. Yep. I was like, just it's a calibration. Um, but again, it's then, it then but it's it becomes like, knowing the palate. Exactly. Knowing, that yeah. you know the critics' palate, yeah. and you can. And we exactly. started, you know, fifteen years ago. Great. So we do emails a lot, and that's kind of our foundation of our business. We started Smart. giving. Critical names. We wouldn't just say wine spectator. We would say who the author of the tasting yeah, was. You have to say that, right? And it all you know, it started with wine advocate as Robert Parker branched out, and it yep. wasn't just a Robert Parker rating no, anymore. No. He wasn't tasting. You got Louis Gutierrez. You had Lisa yeah. going yeah. on. You got and uh, even before that, you had William Jay Miller. Yeah, you had Pierre Ravani. Yep. People want to know, and yep. it was like, and then obviously Jeb came in there, and you know, so we wanted to give credit where credit was due, whether positive or negative. And, mm-hmm. and I think, so yeah, Audrey versus Jeb. Yeah. There, there's a different palette there. And Jeb recognizes that. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it's spectator. There's a different palette in whoever and Vinuous, Josh Reynolds versus Antonio yeah. Bologna yep. versus whoever, you know, there, 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 there's, there's a scale there. Not everyone gives it out. I mean, 
you know, a James Suckling, perhaps not so much, but which is great too. I mean, everybody knows going in, and and, and look, he's a great guy. Oh, he is, and I have a, a tremendous respect for him. As I tell everybody, when I grow up, I want to be James Suckling. Yeah. you know, he's done quite well for and himself. He's got that really cool voice. And yeah, he's just you know, and man. he says Grenache like no other. Yeah, like, he's like you know. he's like oh you, you you saw the thing I did. I was like, and I'm gonna fuck Grenache because she's just sexy. <laughs> But, you know, you look at what – and he has Stuart Piggott doing ratings yeah. on Riesling. Like there, there, there might be no one better at it than Stuart. So, you know, there, there's, there's a, you know, a foundation there for a great business model. And, and, and look, and, and I think you alluded to it. So if James Suckling gives it 98 points, does that make it a bad wine? No. It might make it only 95 yeah. or 94 from yeah. somebody else. Right. But you know that going in. Right. That's what I'm saying. Like use some of your judgment, yeah. people. Yep. Don't, you don't have to wholesale dismiss things. Right. Now, you got to – this is where my legal mind – I'm making distinctions, right? Like I, I'm like, yep. okay. I remember I was into Shannon one year. I mean I'm always – but one year I was like, I'm buy, bought a shit ton of Shannons, right? So I'm going across and like it, it was it, – I bought a ton of like 92 to 93s that James Molesworth had. They were outstanding. Yeah. But I, cause I, cause I figured out his palate. I figured it out in relation to my palate. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's talk about like, you are this guy, like I said, you've only been in 22 years, but you've been in like every major wine publication. Um, the wall street journal called you one of the most, most wines in the U.S. States. Like how? I think, I think I, I put my neck out there, okay. right? You know, when you stick your neck out there and you put yourself in that line of fire, people start to recognize, right? So I did that relatively early on and I had a lot of good mentors in that. Um, and, you know, there was a lot of young people coming up even, you know, in the wine business in, in the 2000s. Um, and, and I was confident in what I was doing. So I did that. And I met a lot of great people in the wine world and not the wine world. And it, it got to the point where I, you know, I got involved with NAWR. It was SWRA at the time. And you had Gary Vaynerchuk on the show. And he, he was the person who was like, you got, you got to sit on this board with me at SWRA. Like, yeah. So time, like you guys are like mavericks. Like, so like you talked about email, but like Gary, um, and we didn't really even talk about wine cause he, cause for him, it, mm-hmm. it turns out it was, it's, it's about like he's fascinated with business. Yep. Um, and why, and, and that's, I kind of love people like, like, I enjoy wine too much. I struggle because I enjoy it too much, but, but I mean, he drinks great wine. He knows wine, but like his thing was the passion to build a business. So he's the one who got you involved. Yeah. In, in, uh, in NAWR. Yeah. yeah and that's the, at the time it was called Specialty Wine Retail Association. Yep. He was the only board member on the East Coast. Wow. And, you know, I guess it was around, around 2008. He's like, you got to join the board with me. There's a spot. I'm going to put you on. You know, and, and Gary's a persuasive guy in case no one's watched him on social media. And you're like, you just kind of, okay, Gary, I'll do it. And, uh, and he was great. And what, and of course, what I realized is ultimately at that time, and, and we were, we were quite friendly at that time. And, uh, he was in the process of distancing himself. Yeah. He was starting to make, cause that's, yes, he was making waves in other worlds, yep. which, I, which I knew. I mean, he had, you know, look, he had wine library TV, he kept talking about having me on and never worked out and then yep. shuttered, which was totally fine. But. You know, he was moving into other avenues. You know, he had his brother AJ, who was big into tech, who's yep. a great guy. Yep. Um, and and so he he introduced me to that world, and and I joined the board, and I became VP. I think originally, um, not originally, but shortly thereafter, he eventually left, and a bunch of other people left, and all of a sudden, I was looking around at the board of directors, and when the the when I was VP, the president was a guy named Keith Wallenberg, who was at K and L. 
Great story. Yep, great story. Great, you know, Keith Wallenberg is amazing. Talk about lawyer trained, like went to Stanford Law School, mm-hmm. I think, and brilliant. Works at a great wine store in California. Um, so when Keith stepped down because he retired from the wine business, period, um, I became president and I was looking at the board. I was like, God, we've lost a lot of retailers, a lot of merchants. I mean, when I joined, it was Vinfolio and Bevmo and all and all these people were on the board on all West Coast. And then there was Wine Library with Gary. Mm-hmm. And I went to Tom Work, our director. I'm like, we, we need more merchants back. So I started recruiting, if you will. So I brought in, you know, um, Jeff Zachariah from Zachy's. I brought in Jamie Ritchie from Sotheby's. Jamie Wolf from Chambers Street Wines. Um, Justin Hammer eventually from B21. Ben Anna from Tribeca Wine Merchants. I mean, ben I started B21. These are all places yeah. I buy wine from. <laughs> Chicago Wine Company, <laughs> Devin Warner. You know, yeah. I, I just went to, you know, and it was, uh, so, you know, a lit, a, trying to obviously New York be my home base where yep. I knew, but then also plucking elsewhere. And I'm like, look, we, we need to get back to our roots and get merchants back on the board. And, and, and I did that and I served as president for a long time, um, which was great. But, you know, that was a tremendous experience. I got to and, – and it brought me back to the legal work. I mean I got to travel even on the legal side. I got to sit before, you know, representatives in Hartford and Boston and Lansing and I got to testify on behalf of wine retailers in the United States as to why we need to be able to ship consumers their, the wine that they want to buy because, you know, Lamy Kayat's not sold, you know, elsewhere and – you know, trying to explain that to people. It, it, it's, it's, it's an uphill climb because we have a lot going against us. And, you know, Gary was a big proponent of that along with the whole SWRA model, which was after the Granholm decision in 05 for wineries. You know, retailers tried to piggyback and they thought it would be easy. And lo and behold, it was not easy, anything but. Um, but it's it's been an interesting process and something I've been proud to be a part of. And I think, you know, my legal mind brought me to meet you know, great people. And it, and it brought us ultimately to the Supreme Court indirectly kind of. I mean, it's a funny, funny case, you know, Tennessee um, with Total Wine and, and the Wine and Spirits Association down yeah, there. Yeah, tell, tell, tell everybody about that. <clears throat> you know, it was one of those things where, you know, Total wanted, you know, as a, you know, it's a few years old, but they, they wanted a spirits license. I think it was in Nashville they were buying, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and the you know, there's some weird, kooky, old laws like there are just, everywhere else. Just like there are in New Jersey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every, everywhere. <laughs> exactly. And there was an old law not being enforced and they ended up enforcing on them that you needed a residency requirement to have the liquor license. And the residency requirement said it was, it was, it was really – I mean it's the liquor world is so fascinating. But you had to live there for two years to get the license, which was fine. But then your license is renewal, as I recall. As I recall, you had to renew your license annually. But to renew your license, you had to be a ten-year resident. Wow, so that doesn't seems, take a it doesn't take an engineering legal, degree. Legal fuckery, right yeah. there, man. So it was like, okay, so you could be there two years, but then you still can't renew. Right. And so total pushback. And then also one of those brothers is lawyers, the Trones. Yeah, the Trones. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you know they just want and, and look and the, and the Trones like in totals done a tremendous job. For what they do in the world, they came up in the '90s, and they're not at all in terms of grapes. The wine company model of business, you right. know, they're more localized, which is great. Yep. But you know, I, I, I've shopped in their stores, and they do a great job. But and that's where the irony comes is they just they just want to sell booze in Tennessee, no, and, I know, and the retailers right? in there decide to fight. And the irony was the state wanted nothing to do with the law. The right. state said 
this law is not constitutional. Right. So when when push came to shove on all of it, the case became the Tennessee Wine and Retailers Association. Tennessee Wine and Spirits Retail Sorry. Association versus Thomas. Right. Versus, so it was the Tennessee AG at the time, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, it got passed along and they were fighting against Total. And, and so when it got to the Supreme Court, the state of Tennessee wanted nothing to do with it. They, they didn't show up. Literally. They didn't wow. show up to the Supreme Court. And at the time, when it got on the radar screen, Tom Wark said to me, look, I was president of, of uh, NAWR at that time. And he's like, this might end up in the Supreme Court. And indirectly, this is about, you know, state regs and commerce clause and 21st Amendment versus the dormant commerce clause. And Shit, I haven't heard that since law school. Right, I don't right, actually so, know what that right, is. <laughs> right. So and this is and, and I've learned it now to death. And, and, it, and I was like, I got the lawyer for us. And and I talked to a client of mine who was in D.C., a gentleman named Paul Clement, who's argued more cases in front of the U.S. Supreme Court in the last 40 years than anybody else. Mm. And I went to him. I was like, Paul, I, I think we, you know, we had talked years ago. We got about doing one. I was like, we got, I think we got one. He's like, well, let's see if the Supreme Court agrees to hear it. And then the Supreme Court agreed to hear it. So he wrote the amicus brief for us, which needless to say, him and Aaron Murphy did an insanely good job writing this brief and they come very well respected. Um, and that's not necessarily why total won the case. And, and, and again, total even, and I went to the hearing, you know, total's trying to backtrack because they, they saw how we angled it. Right. And you've got this wine and spirits retail associate wants nothing to do. They, they opened up this can of worms. Mm-hmm. They had no idea. So and can of whoop ass. <laughs> yeah. And total is like, this is not what we wanted either. So w- there's three sides to this. And then the Supreme Court ruled in Total's behalf. It was a 7-2 decision, and that's where the whoop-ass came in. It was clear. Even Paul, when when we talked that day, he's like, this is better than you could ever imagine, Daniel. Like, complete slam dunk. The decision was, like, so well-defined. And then, of course, it's like everything comes easy now, just like Granholm. All right, so retailers can ship. No, because then you got to go state by state. And then you have a rogue judge in Michigan for on the federal level – Literally, in his decision in a case in Michigan, going against the Supreme Court, basically saying the Supreme Court doesn't know anything about what they're talking about. Yeah. So here we are now, in two, you know, four years later, and it's like we're still in this flux of like, can retailers ship? I mean, they should be able to ship. I mean, I'm just simple because I'm a simple man. Yeah, we all are. I'm over 21. Yep. I bought this. Why can't I have it? I, I'm and I'm, gonna, I'm willing to sign. I'm willing to sign for it. I mean, it is the most. It is the craziest thing. And and the fact that, like you said, like trying to explain to these judges, like like no, bro. Like I'm serious about. This. I can't get this anywhere. There's the only place I can get this. I remember being in Boston in the in, in the legislative house there, and they asked a lot of questions as I testified, and they said to me, and I'm going back about ten years before all this. Eight to ten years, and 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 one of the um, members said, "So, but adult signatures required?" And I said, "Yeah." And she said, "So, so ha- take me through that." And I said, "Look, I was in college once a long time ago, <laughs> and I was like, when I was in college, I didn't wake up on a Monday morning off of a great weekend thinking, where am I going to get my booze for Friday." I was like, I woke up Monday morning trying to get my ass to class. And this is, I was, I testified. I was like, 
when I wanted to get a drink at age 19 in Baltimore, Friday at 7 p.m. is when I found that bottle that I wanted, right? And it wasn't ordering it from a store outside mm-hmm. of the city of Baltimore. Uh, and, and they all got a chuckle. <laughs> I, guess like, it was, I was like, I was like, teenage kids and college kids, they're, they're going to find it locally. No yeah. one's ordering Bergogna Blanc yeah. right off the net. No one's even ordering Cavit Pinot Grigio right. or Kendall this Jackson is, this Chardonnay. Is, this is fundamentals of like they're walking into their local store presenting whatever ID or perhaps not even presenting an ID and they're getting it. Those that are ordering, you know, Force Majeure or Sinequinon or, you know, whatever, yeah. lo, you know, Lamy Kayat or yep. DRC. Like, that's not what we're after here. And in a store like Grapes, we're not selling those wines and we're certainly not shipping them across state lines. This is not the avenue we're after. So everywhere we go, we've presented that case. And then the pushback comes, obviously, at the other tiers. And you get a lot of local retail tier level. Right. Of, you're going to drive the local business out of business. And that's not – like I'm a local wine No, store. dude, that's, that's not, not true. And, and it's not true because – it's been shown wineries didn't drive them out of business right. either. So. I mean it's just – it's just like so. There's like shit. I get them on lists, and I, it's got to get shipped to New York because if you're a small producer, you're not going to pay a thousand dollars in New Jersey because they're you know you know there's like two guys who know about your wine, right? I mean, it's just not right. I mean, like, and I'm not mad at them for that, but they should be able to send me the fucking wine. Why is why is I'm not going to say why is why why are you guys in Jersey three tiers? Why you got your hand in my pocket? Yep. Oh, and they do. And I remember I testified in Connecticut, I think about three times. And, and to their credit, we had a great lobbyist in Connecticut and we finally got a deal done for better or for worse. But I, I remember the quote unquote expert who testified one of the times before me saying that the selection in Connecticut was exactly the same as New York. It's not even possible. And, 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 and I, and I, ha- I was like, look, I, I don't have all the factual evidence. I, I went up, I was like, but I think you have about 25% of the wines that are registered in New York. I was like, you have ridiculous, arduous registration requirements. Like in New York, it's $500 for a whole label of like Kendall Jackson or Louis Jadot. Right. In Connecticut, it's 250 per label. Right. I was like, so Louis Jadot doesn't register every label because nope. they don't want to. Right. Because they can't afford to. Right. And if they make a couple barrels of wine, they're not registering. And it's never sold. And so I had to use that of like, I was like, I don't, you know, I just had to correct obviously the individual. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, this is, I didn't have the facts at that point, but I had about the facts. And I'm like, I think it's 25%. Yeah, I don't some, know where Sometimes, I'm, I mean, I'm not. And I'm it's not. hard because people, you know, when you're in the room and the committee's listening to you and they're deciding your fate right. and, and they're, they're hearing that it's the same selection, they, they might believe they, they, that. Exactly. Cause they, they, it's like perjury. Unless like you have guy, a wine. That person blatantly lied. Yeah. Unless you have someone who knows wine on that board, they're, they're, I was going to be like, yeah. No, fuck you, sir. Yep. I buy my wine in New York because I can't get you know, like unless you have that person, they're gonna believe that and person. And that's ultimately what in Connecticut what led our way. You know, we we were lucky to have some people finally and it took years of getting in their ear and meetings over coffee and and meetings in, in the correct offices of like, look, this is not reality. You know, we get it. We don't want and as I said, we don't want to put any store out of business. That's not our angst. That's not our angle. Like you know, Grapes, the wine company, is a local wine store, and we are proud to be a local wine store. But we also want to sell wines that are unavailable to people in their marketplace. We want them to be afforded the opportunity to purchase from us. So it works in some places, and, you know, we continue to fight the good fight. Like I said, we thought we had it with that Tennessee case. Um, clearly, the Supreme Court was on our side there, but now – you know, on the lower level courts, they've pushed back. And, and it's it's ironic that, 
you know, you hear, you, you know, the Supreme Court's supposed to have autonomy, right? right. Like, where's their head at? Yeah. And <laughs> it's just crazy. It is. It is. It is just like, like you said, like, um, it's kind of like the tariffs even that came up briefly. Right? I mean, yeah. So I had Mary on. And that's why I right. had been so having Mary like the, and yeah. Ben. And yeah, and, and so the, you know that idiot who was in charge. Yeah, and, and so it, you know, and the tariffs are a fascinating one because I, I had I had people come to me before I knew what it was all about, and and, and like I said, in, in my experience in this world, like people just expected to come to me like Daniel, fix this, right? Do something, right? And I and I had a client who was in the cheese world present it to me in. Uh, in August of that year. So that's August of what, 19, I guess, right? I mm-hmm. think. And he's like, are you aware? And I'm like, uh, tariffs. Like this, this is federal level. Like NAWR, we're, we're state jurisdiction. He's like, but Daniel, like they, I'm like, and, and this is probably a, com- a comment I'll regret forever. I'm, like, I'm sure importers and wholesalers are handling this, right? I was, <laughs> and, 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 and I look back on that comment. I've learned my lesson, but sure enough, then you, you know, and I, and I knew Ben and we had talked a little bit. We had never really met. And then I remember being at a Bordeaux lunch that October. I'll never forget. We're in the same room together. It's a uh, a Trop Long Mondo event. Mm. And someone across from suck. me is like, Daniel, what are we doing about the tariffs? <laughs> you, right? And I was like, I was like, well, I've been talking to people about it. I was like, but if you really want to talk to someone, I'm having a conversation with this guy from Tribeca Wine Merchants, and he knows it backwards and forwards. And his name's Ben Adolf, and he was like six seats down. From me. We'd never actually. <laughs> That's done. so funny. And uh, Ben turned. I'm like, oh. And uh, I'm Ben Adolf. <laughs> so yeah, so we forged a great relationship, and we're still very friendly to this day. And and so, you know, we at that time that we started going to some importers at it and that and that became a disaster and that's a whole other sequence of events of like where the wine world went wrong on tariffs because that should have been corrected before that lunch should have been corrected after that but we were so on our own and you mm-hmm. had like mm-hmm. so many cowboys and there was no there was there was nothing cohesive going on mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. and so when people came to me he's like Dan what, what's NAWR going to do about this and I said alright well I'm going to try to forge our own coalition and I went to importers and said, look, NAWR is going to do this, but you need to give us money because we can't fight on a federal level. And they started giving us money. And then ultimately that's how that coalition started with Ben as president. But, I, you know, we, we went to them. It's like, ben, Ben's your guy. There's no one else in the wine world that knows any of this better than Ben Anoff. Yeah. And you need to put him in charge and let him handle it. And he will do the best he can. And he did. And hopefully it never comes back, but who knows? And, and that worked out. Um, but I remember sitting in, you know, in the office with Harmon and Michael Skernick with Ben for two hours yeah. about it. And I was like, you guys are, you're at the forefront of like the fine wine import business, right? You're going to be able to tell the other importers. I mean, I had lunch with David Bowler, like directly. And I'm like, we're going to put Ben on this. Like, I'm like, this is your guy. Like, I'm going to bat for Ben and you need to go to bat for Ben. Wow. And everyone's like, well, we're all kind of, I'm like, and then the USTA, whatever it was called, yeah. US, US, USWTA, yeah. USTA is tennis, USWTA <laughs> was forged out of that, which was a great coalition. But you still, you know, I mean, when I look back upon, as I said, like, I mean, the disaster that went on for like six or eight months leading up to that was it was a shit show for the wine business. I mean, embarrassment. And, you know, in fairness to the the president at the time and the people who were behind him, they gave us a couple of opportunities to speak up and we were silent. Mm -hmm. And we weren't silent because we wanted to be silent. 
but we had no one there to say, whoa, time out. You have this all wrong. Right. And even when Ben would sit down with them in D.C., they'd be like, where were you six months ago? Yeah. Like, well. So hopefully never again. Hopefully lesson learned. But that was – I mean on paper it was a bad idea from the outset. But nobody told them it was a bad idea either. And that's how politics work, right? Well, uh, that's the whole yeah. thing, right? right. Like, it's like it's like someone has an agenda. Right. And they're trying to cram their agenda yep. through, and then and if nobody speaks up nobody negatively, speaks, like, and, there's, there's, all, and there's shit in there, like, like I remember, like was it um, Fahrenheit nine one one? Like they were like, we didn't read that fucking bill. Yep, I, I had a we it, just they like, like they gave it to us all night, like 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 you know, like you have to have AIDS. Like there's so much shit that goes into legislation. Yep, um, and, and 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 like and they don't and, read anything. They don't read anything. And they tell you that. Right. That their whole point is if you don't have a lobbyist, and happened to us in New York as retailers and why we have a full-time lobbyist on staff now, because as I learned 10-plus years ago, I think it was in 2011 where we almost had some bad legislation happen to retailers mm-hmm. and restaurants in New York. When I spoke to an assemblyman out in Long Island, he's like, Daniel, like we're dumb people. Like we see hundreds of bills. If nobody red flags it, yeah. it just passes yeah. because – and I was like, what do I do? He's like, well, duh, you need a lobbyist right. because you need – that's the red flagger. Right. He's like, we're not listening to Daniel Posner of Grapes, the wine company. Right. We're listening to whoever you hire to red flag. Right. And that's the clusterfuck of Which course. Which is fucking crazy. Right, right? Right? Like, I mean that you need to pay. Yeah. I got to pay someone who doesn't really yes. know what I yep. know. Yep. But his job is to say he knows what I and, know. And, and every year we got to give a refresher right. on why this is bad. <laughs> and it's like, you know, and even – and and, and – and the previous president talked about draining the swamp, and that would have been the one greatest thing. But of yeah, course, it went it, the other it, way. Exactly. I mean, if you, if I mean, you drain the swamp, dude, you got that rid- was that was bizarro world. It was like I'm was going to tell happen. you yep. what I'm going to do, but actually, I'm stocking the swamp. Yep. Yeah. And there's articles <laughs> about like I mean, there's lobbyists who made millions just all just off of the controversy. I mean, they're just oh. it's just off of the controversy of like, oh, you need someone, write me a check. Yeah. And you're like, oh my God. Yeah. So it, it, it's just unfortunate. In New York, like I said, we saw it unfold and I, I talked to this man, you know, great person. He's like, Damn, we don't read any of these yeah. bills. He's like, no one in my office even reads these bills. Yeah. He's like, they come in like, you know, yeah. 60 miles per hour. Boom, yep, yep. boom, Sign boom. This, boom. Sign, yeah, and now. Right. And before you know it, Careers are devastating. You're like, shit. Yeah. Um, and then it's too late. It's too late. I was just thinking about some of the names you're dropping and I was just thinking about a lot of my guests. And, and, and you know, I had Isaiah Thomas in here um, and uh, he was saying how. Because I asked him, like, what's it like to be an NCAA champion and then what's it like to be an NBA champ? Vast difference, believe it or not, from D1 – to the NBA, right? So, like, because I mean, there's probably like, you know, you know, whatever, five thousand guys played NCAA yep. basketball. It's fucking what, hundred? I mean, four hundred? Like yeah, 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 four, yeah. But yeah, um, yeah, I get the point. But in wine, so there's also levels of wine, right? So, like, like you, like you're saying, like, like you're not the guy who sells nips and and all that no. shit, and and not even and and their best wine is Santa Margarita, you know, Pinot Grigio, but the guy who's just slamming. You know, eight dollar bottles of wine, uh, all from the same company <laughs> distributor. Um, you know, you're not affecting his business. But, Does my but, eye roll show up anywhere? Exactly. Else? No, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if the camera get it. I don't think the angle's that wide. Um, but then when you there's a level you get to in the wine, and like you're like, 
that was my thing. I was like, why is everybody like, everybody went to like Columbia and Wesley and like, there's a level where you just, you have some really intelligent people who fell in love with this, you know, this lifestyle. Like you said, I mean, like, like the cheat, like the, you, you cross a certain level. Um, why do you think so many, there's so many really intelligent people and and the fine wine business, man. I, I would actually go the other way. I don't think there's a lot of intelligent people in the fine wine world. I <laughs> That's think so funny. I mean, because I mean, maybe I, I just maybe I just you've just come maybe, across maybe the I right people. Sit, I mean, yeah. I do curate my guests yes. very well. <laughs> I'm giving you credit. There. Thank you. I mean, Thank you. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I've made jokes for years because it's it's so funny to me where I've I've met suppliers and I've come across people and 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 certainly I've created some enemies like anybody else would in any sure. industry and. You know, I have friends who will end up in conversations with them and they'll be like, oh, yeah, I do a lot of work with Daniel Posner. We do a lot of business. And then that person will come back. How do you work with Daniel? He's a pain in the ass. What an ass. I mean, I heard that people are like, oh, that guy's a dick. I mean, yeah. you know, I mean, yeah. you know. and you're going to get that. And yeah, then yeah. people are like, well, you have to appreciate who Daniel is and you have to appreciate who yeah. someone right. else is. And, you know, so I think this is an industry where you could be successful in spite of yourself. Well, 100 percent. And there's numerous industries like that. And there's numerous people like that. But. Especially it, it, this one, though. Oh, this because, is so regulated. I mean, Once you're dealing with government regulation, yeah, yeah. like to this level, you just have to come in with the right dollars and you can control it. Well, yeah. I mean, and there's people like I know who 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 know experience and get jobs yep. that have incredible base salaries, full benefits. Yep. Well, within like two years are making multiple six figures and don't know shit about Jack. Nope. Because we got because it is drugs, right? It's alcohol, right? Like so, people go buy it, right? So, like, I mean, we've got suppliers now coming back to us about influencers. Well, like, are we seeing any feedback on influencers? I'm like, well, maybe you will someday, but not right now. Yeah, like you can take them on all the trips you want. I would tell you this as someone who kind of gets lumped in that world. I no. Yeah, there's no ROI. There's very little ROI on that. And perhaps there will be someday. Maybe one but, day. But at the present time, because they'll be like, oh, Daniel, can we do, can we do something and we'll angle you in and we'll put you on our links. And then a week later, they like, Daniel, how many hits you get? I'm like, That's what zero. I'm saying. I mean and, – And so I don't know. I mean but yes, to your point, this is an industry that you do not have to be of that – Per, that I intellect, know. but there are no many I, I, great. Ones, I think you're right? saying I mean, that. No, I, I appreciate and it, I, and I think it's you know it's it's I, I've met too many people where you look at right place, right time, and any and anything in this world, and and they've fallen upon that. But you know, then you come across like someone like Kevin Zarelli, right? Who's <laughs> utterly brilliant. You've had him on the show, yeah, right? Yeah. And, I mean, Amazing. and I saw him a couple weeks ago. I mean, love that guy. And, and great. I mean, great guy, and, and just. Plays to the audience, yep. right? And, and and he's brilliant yep. at everything he does. And you could sit and talk about absolutely nothing and yep. be happy doing yep. it, right? Yep. And it's great. But how many Kevin Zarelli? How many Kevin Zarellis are coming up in the world right well, now? Well, that's what I right? tell people. I tell people. I told someone. Someone interviewed me. So I was like, "Listen, man, I love that people write books. There's new wine books, but like, like the, there's like five wine books you need to read, and they were written a long time ago." Yep. And the person who wrote that book yep. read that book. So yep. what I learned in law school is go back. To, you have to go back to the most, the case most on point. So you got to go way back, right? So fucking, there is no wine education in America without Kevin's Israeli. So why are you taking someone's janky ass course? Just buy his fucking book. Yeah, it's true. They're, 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 he don't. Ha, he doesn't have no certificate. No, nope, nothing. No, and, he just, and no one back then did. Because no one it didn't did because it didn't exist. And that listen, when I was at Acker, I was like, oh, I, I thought about getting an MS. Like this is ninety seven. Yeah. Oh, you don't need it. Like you didn't need it. Yep. If you knew wine, and there was only like 
three master psalms in, in New York and they were all French anyway. So you know what I mean? Like it wasn't a thing. And now everybody's like, I have this credential and that credential. I'm like, yeah, but have you had the one? Like let's just go back to Malcolm, 10,000 hours. Like you don't have your 10,000 hours. Put in your 10,000 hours. I mean, I, before I got here, I was at lunch at a prominent restaurant <laughs> in New York City and I went on the wine list and I ordered 2010 Pichon Lalande. And the wine on the list is listed as 2010 Pichon Lalande. Prominent restaurant, prominent list, great people. And the wine that came out was the Reserve de Pichon. <laughs> and I, I said, look, I think this is the wrong wine. And they had three vintages of the wine. Right? They had 2015, <clears throat> 2010, and I think 2009. And he said, you're right. I made a mistake. And then he came back. He said, no, this is the right wine. And I said, okay, I'm just going to order something different. Yeah. I mean, I'm not yeah. jumping yeah. down anyone's throat. But, yeah. you know, but this is a psalm. At a, at a great restaurant, yeah, and yeah. he's the wine director. Presumably, I yeah. think at this point, I don't know. Yeah. I, I haven't. I don't know. But you know, when so when people come to me and like, oh, you know, can we do an event? But can you bring a psalm to the event? I'm like, I am the psalm. Right. What, what, right. what? What's your certification? I'm like, I don't know. I've tasted a hundred thousand yeah. wines. That's yeah. my certification. Yeah. Yeah. I've never taken a class, yeah. but I've been to Burgundy twenty times. I've been to Bordeaux mm-hmm. eight times. Mm-hmm. I've been to South America. I've been to Napa ten times. Well, whatever it is, yeah, like. I, I can do this. Yeah. Don't worry. Yeah. Like, exactly. and, and I can be actually funny about yeah. it, right? Yeah. It's not going to be a stiff tasting. Yeah. It's going to be amusing <clears> to you. Like, okay. You know, but you're not really a psalm. I'm like, what yeah, the people, fuck is a psalm? I know. I mean, actually, and that's, I got into a, a discussion with a psalm about that a couple of months ago. Um, and, uh, and I was like, I, and, and God bless Raj. Raj said it. A psalm sells wine on the floor of a restaurant. If you're not selling wine on the floor of a restaurant, you're not a fucking psalm. Yep. Yep. Sorry. Uh, I went to law school. I didn't pass the bar. I'm not a lawyer. Yep. It's the same. There, there, we have to have some definitions, right? Like, 100%. Like, you could be a wine educator, but you're not a psalm. If you're not on the floor of a restaurant selling wine, you're not a psalm. Sorry, I said it. I, I, I just, yep. that's, that, that's like, like we, we live in like this make believe world. Like, we have, we need, listen, yeah, we you, need some definitions you, in the you world. Need, you need some delineation. You need some yeah. delineation, right? So you can go do lots of things with your certification. God bless you. That's fine. I, a lot of people have. That's great. But let's, 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 that's what Assam did. They sold wine on the floor of a restaurant. And that's where it ends. And that's where it ends. That doesn't mean they can now, come now to you, your home. Now, now, now you could parlay that yep. like uh, into other things yep. and that's great. You know, you can like a former Assam, but, but, but that same with me. Like I, I was a Assam. I sold wine on the floor of a restaurant in Santa Barbara, but I, but like, and I didn't even think about it back then in 2000, 2000 through two, right? I didn't think about it. My cousin's like, oh, you're a psalm. I'm like, oh, don't say that. Because the movies, I was like, I oh, don't say that. I don't have any service. I'm like, wait a minute. I actually sold one. That's what it, That's what I did. And and at the end of the day, I've told people there's so many retailers out there. Like, like in New York City, there's dudes who worked at like these incredible institutions for 15, 20 years, had more wine than any. And you never even so, knew their name. And you never knew their name. You have no idea. I mean, we have, we have guys who work for us. I mean, I got a guy who's worked 40 years at various retailers. Yeah, yeah. He's in, he's 75 years old. He's worked for me for over 10 years. Yeah. One of the most wall, knowledgeable yeah. wine people out there. And if you don't know the stores he worked at, you didn't know that he started executive wine seminars back in the right. day, which was competing with wine yeah. workshop, mm-hmm. right? Yep. I, that's Milman, why I know. Right? Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't know, but you sit down and, and you break bread with the guy and you're like, man, this right. guy knows. Right. right. Everything. Right, and right. he has no certifications. Yep. Right? Yep. Um, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> and, and not to say don't get certified, no. not, but, but I'm, but I'm just, I draw a few lines in the sand and like, and that's just one of them. Like, yeah, listen, you could, let's just, you know, like, like, just like 
there's, many there's different terroir. Exactly. Just like there's different communes inside of Burgundy. Yeah. That ain't going to change. Yep. Um, we need to have some delineation, like you said. That's yep. all. Um, and, no, and- it works. It, it totally, it, it totally works in every sphere of of this world. But you just have to know what that means. And the problem is, just because you put it on a business card, like "Oh, I'm a summit, whatever, it doesn't make you an expert. And just because you work at a retail store, it doesn't make you an expert right. by any means. Right. That's so, all. I mean, you just, and that's where it goes back to where you said you you got to find people who you can trust, yep. right? And yep. this is this is what we do. This is what a lot of people do. And and you find people who you can trust, and hopefully it works out. Right. And if it doesn't, you find someone else. Right. I just had a great analogy. It's like it's like someone saying, "Oh, I'm a professional basketball player." Yes. In Italy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's a difference between the NBA. Yep. You know, yeah, yep. technically you're a professional basketball player. But we're an NBA player. I mean, yep. it's, you know, that, you know, it's like I'm a professional soccer player. Yes. Do you play like you, over in Europe? Yeah, you're MLS or are you playing, playing for Arsenal? Or, or, yeah, yeah, Arsenal. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and guys move back and forth. But, but uh, it's just like that caveat of buyer beware. Just, just. Yes. Know who you're dealing with when, when you're taking wine advice from people. And at the end of the day, fuck it, drink what you want to drink. I always say that too. Oh, yeah. 100%. You know, that when you, I go back to you, like, you know, you went to a steakhouse and ordered Santa Margarita Pinot Grigio. So you have a Pinot Grigio with a fucking ribeye. Yep. <laughs> right? Prime rib in Baltimore, yeah, yeah. our first date. <laughs> Why not? Right? It's, it's what we knew. Yeah. And I was 21 years old. And you feel so sophisticated. Oh, my God. Of course we you did. A bottle of wine right. in a restaurant. Yeah. And I went back and drank some Mad Dog, probably in the yeah. fraternity and, and, house after that. Well, it, it worked because right? you're married and shit, <laughs> yeah. so it worked. So, you know. I did something right Yeah, you there. did something right. <laughs> um, so, among other things, like, I mean, you're like a speaker. You do conferences. You do local winders. And you're also a wine consultant. Now, um, I, I don't know if I should name drop, but I – Here's what I, here's what my intuition knows. Like I had Robert Bohr on. There's guys like you, the Robert Bohrs, other people. Like, like you are fucking with some serious people just call you to buy their fucking wines. How did that evolve? Like, how yeah. did you get that rep, man? It'd be- and I think, you know, and then Robert's another one I met early in my years, <clears throat> like when he worked at Zachy's is when we first met him and Ned and, and they were great people and, and great influencers for me and yep. in, in trying to guide me. And I have a tremendous amount of respect for them. Um, but yeah, you know, as you build your client list and then, and you build your confidence and willingness to sell product, you know, people come to you and they want your opinion on wines. And that's where it goes back to even what we're drinking today and other, and other wines. Which is fucking delicious yeah. Yeah. And, and perfect. And not wine. on ice. Like, yeah. and that's another thing too. Stop drinking your white wines too cold, everybody. We, we, we drink our reds too warm. Warm and our, our whites, whites too cold, cold right? Yep. And don't be afraid to ask. You know, yeah, your you restaurants put, to put the you, red put on ice. Red on, yep. Can you put that on ice for like 15 minutes? Yep, yep. 100%. Um, but yeah, I mean, so, we, you know, at, at Grapes, the wine company, we've, you know, over the years, we've had a great opportunity to build up a, a great client list of kind of the who's who of people buying wine. And they, and they trust us, which yep. is awesome. And yep. It feels good. Yep. Um, and, and so that, you know, they'll email or they'll call, I mean, preferably email these days. Um, but, you know, they, they want to know what the next wine is. Hey, Daniel, mix me up a case of wine. Uh, you know, this is what I want. I want some Burgundy or I want some great next Barolo, whatever it is. And, and we do that for them. And, and obviously, Robert certainly kind of pioneered that even before me. Um, I made a much better business at it than I did, but but uh, but but kudos to him. But you know, this is what we do, yeah. and, and and if you're lucky enough to get that good database of clients, and then look, 
Joe tells Steve and Steve tells Tom and Tom tells Mike. And before you know it, you've got this great network of this guy in L.A. and this guy in Chicago is telling mm-hmm. this guy in Houston who's telling this guy in New York and this gal in D.C. And, and, and the network works. And that's and we've built a good network of clients off of that world. And, it's, you know, back in the day when my kids were, A, first non-existent and B, much younger, I mean, I would travel around the country and I'd have dinner. With these people, I'd be like, "Look, bring a couple friends, yeah, and we'll go to we'll go to a steakhouse in South Beach because I'm going to go to a Jets Dolphins game because yep. that's how I used to coordinate mm-hmm. all my Jets travel games back when I used to travel." Um, so you and Gary guys. got that in common well, too, we, Jets. We have a little bit. <laughs> we, had, we 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 traveled and then we traveled together a yeah. little bit. Um, but you know, I'd, I'd go to a Jets Dolphins game and I'd go down to South Beach and I'd tell five clients to each bring a friend. And before you knew it, you got a dozen people in the room and I'm showcasing a few wines, ordering a few others. We're overpaying for every steak and every side and everyone's having a good time. And if, look, if it works for a few and, and that's where you forge relationships. And, and I can't tell you how many times I would have clients, even to this day, tell me like, Daniel, I had dinner with you 15 years ago. I've never had dinner with another retailer. And I'm like, yeah, that makes sense mm-hmm. because. We're not comfortable in that world, right? We're not comfortable sitting across from you breaking bread and chatting about anything. Like, and this is where it becomes almost like to, like people who are into wine, oftentimes they can't talk about anything else. They, they, maybe they don't know. Right, right. You so, know, they, they're awkward about right, everything right, else. It's right. like, look, I can talk to you about anything you want and I feel good about it. Yep. And, and I don't need to sit here for three hours preaching about why this wine is yeah, so good. I don't yeah. even, it's going to speak for itself, yep. and I think it does, and that's fine. And I'm going to bring you a few wines, and if you like it, great. If you don't, great. Just tell me what you didn't like, and we'll try to you know, switch you know, directions and figure it out with what you do like. But you know, you got to feel good about that, and, and, and you got to be willing to spend the time and the energy and the money, and that's certainly always a problem. Like I said, you know, Traveling around like that, like I said, if you have families, like I'm at that point now with three kids, like I, I can't get on the road like that. I haven't been to an away Jets game in years. Oh, it's a bummer. So, right? so yeah, it is a bummer. Well, it's actually saved me a lot of money and angst <laughs> and agita. Um, but, but that being said, like, you know, but back in those days, I, I would totally be into it. And I'd go to Boston and be like, I'd go to a Jets Pats game and I'd do one night of dinners in Boston. I would go out to San Francisco and do it. And I would be wherever I was in Dallas. Like I would, work that circuit and make a business out of it, which was good. And maybe I'll get back there as I get older or maybe I'll send other people doing it. But, you know, I've made a point to try to forge those relationships. And I've been like, I've been in Detroit. I've been even all those testifying. Like and when I went to Lansing, I stopped in Detroit and met clients. Like I was in, you know, Hartford and I would have lunch with people. Mm-hmm. Like you just, you make the time and effort and and you feel good about it. But one, it starts with getting that basic clients, which is hard to do these days. Yeah. You've got a lot of competition. A lot of competition. A lot of, and so you got to have the wines. And that's where it starts with like, I can't yeah. tell you the people beating that in the door on certain wines. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I heard you get this. And I'm like, yeah, we do. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. But other people have, and, are way ahead of you. On and, it. and like you said, and, 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 and that's people, um, uh, need to then be like, all right, you know what, Daniel? I'm going to fuck with you. I'm going to get on your list. Call me. I can't get this wine. Um, and that's kind of it. Like, you know, I put out shit on Instagram. I'm like, you can't get this wine. Sorry. You know, um, the we'll list is people, closed. You know, yep. we'll have people who will be referred and they'll mix up four cases from us. Yep. And they'll, we'll never hear from them again. Yep. And it's not because positive or negative. It's because we didn't really massage them enough. Yep. And I'll reach out and be like, hey, how did we do with this? Did mm-hmm. you taste this? And, Maybe they replied, maybe they don't, but yep. sometimes they, they just 
they want to feel wanted. And they yep. think whatever they spent warrants that. And they could be right. They yep. could be wrong. Yep. But, you know, for us, it's like, look, we're, we're delivering the product. The product speaks for itself. I can wax poetic all right. you want. We, right. I can sit in your living room and talk to you about it till whatever. But if you want the person who's going to beg you for business, that's not what we do. But, right. like, you know, we do what we think is enough. Yeah. Yeah, right if, on. And that sounds really bad. You no, should, I you should delete and edit that. No, I'm not. But actually, we, we do we do great things. Listen, Scrapes the wine company is the best store in America. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, now he can't edit it out. Um, no, I I think I mean that it, it goes back to the NBA and see yeah. like like. Um, uh, oh, there's just huge differences. Yeah, right? there's just there's just differences, you know, and and uh, and it was like and, my, my my wife, you know, who she played high school basketball in New York. Set many a record. Like people in Westchester County and beyond will st- like, oh my God, jo- Joy Vaccaro right. is your your wife. Like she was amazing. What happened to her? I'm like, well, she went to Hopkins and she had a good college career. And like, and then what? I'm like, and then life. That was life. Yeah. I'm like, well, what happened to Hopkins? Like she was she was a good player. I'm like, well, you know, God, at Ursula and she was so good. And she went like, okay, but you know, then that was it for her. Like, and and, and that's okay. Like mm-hmm. she was never going to go on to mm-hmm. anything beyond W. You know, she you know, she played very seriously since she was like seven, eight years old. And, and that was great for her. And then by the time her senior year of high school came after 14 years of playing like every weekend of her life. Yeah, college. Listen, yeah. I didn't finish my eligible in college. It's tough. People yeah. are like, dude, this is high level D1. Yeah. I, I'm tired. No. And when it's D1, D2, D3, it's serious yeah. at any level. It occupies a lot it takes of your time. time. And like, you know, and you're at a college that's <laughs> academically rigorous and – you know, physically I don't rigorous. Know. I for, never did that, but, but maybe but, law school. I'm so good. <laughs> you were at Wesleyan, weren't you? I hung out at Wesleyan. I, oh, I gra- graduated from Rutgers Law School, so okay. that, that was hard. But undergrad was? Undergrad, um, Mammoth U now, which okay. is, they call, what, I didn't know that it's called the Princeton by the Sea, but it was like five years in my house. It was just, I got a scholarship. That's why I went there. Okay. And then, uh, state school in Connecticut, Southern Connecticut. And, okay. And then, and on to Rutgers. Um, but yeah, no, um, by the time I got to Southern, like I, I, I uh, which was D2 and was actually a better program, although program, uh, um, I was like, I'd run, but I was like, I'm done. I've been running for seven years hard. I don't, I got stress fractures. I, yeah. You know, I'm going to, ha- I'm 22. I'm going to happy hour at four o'clock. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to be a fucking practice. It's like I visited UConn. My son plays ice hockey and like the UConn athletic facilities and stores are tremendous yep. for a school being in the middle of nowhere, like growing up in New York and you look at the SUNY school, oh, yeah. you look at what UConn has oh, done. I know, I know. And they're building a new ice hockey rink, which, he, you know, he played in, in the old one, which yep. is the current. But like, man, how, how does this school do all – it's great. I mean, never mind the basketball. But every – I mean, they do tremendous things at these schools. And, and they do great things then for getting kids – Allowing them the privilege of going to those schools and then succeeding thereafter. Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Yeah. And that's but what, that's so but as long as you know going in, like for 99%, they're not playing in the NBA. Exactly. Right? And, and for the other 98%, they're not even playing in China. Right? I mean, exactly. their, their right. career ends in basketball it's, it's, when they're 22 yep, yep. and they're hitting happy hour. Yep. That's it. That's it. And you got to know that. And, and you do have to know that. So, um, God, man, I mean, we we have scratched the surface of Dan's stories. I'm I feel sure. like we talked about absolutely nothing. I know about me. it's like a Seinfeld episode. Yeah. <laughs> we, we, we might get there. Um, <laughs> no, there's lots of gems in there. Yeah. Believe me. Um, so we're gonna play a little game. Uh oh. All right. It's, uh, FMK. Uh, I gotta get him. Shout out Brooke Sabo gave me this. 
I, lo- I love Brooke. I know. Uh, yeah, she, yeah, she's another one. She's yeah. great. I, I, she was one of the first. I don't know. She was like number fifty for you or something. But yeah. like, yeah, she she's awesome. Yeah. Um, and so she she's like, you need MJ. You need to do this. You need to do, do fuck Mary kill on a podcast. So I've instituted for oh, season. Yeah. So it could either be three grapes, but I was like, I really need to fuck with Daniel. So oh man, I'm giving you regions, three regions. You get to fuck one, you get to marry one, you get to kill one. So you, you never get to f- that is dead. So here are your three regions, Daniel: fuck, marry, kill, Burgundy, Piedmont, and Tuscany. <laughs> I mean, I'm marrying Burgundy. Okay, hundred percent. Okay, um, for any number of reasons I could give, but I'm definitely marrying Burgundy. I think I'm killing Tuscany as much as I hate to say that. And I'm fucking Piedmont because, you know, with Piedmont, like you can, you get Dolcetto, you get Barbera, you get get more than just everything. And, 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 you know, and, and that's like, I mean, my wife, she loves Barbera. Okay. She doesn't like Barolo, right? So you can find any world. And Dolcetto is an interesting one because I think most Dolcettos are completely average, but then you find, although Jeff brought one, the Mascarelli, Jeff put that shit was ridiculous. Well, Well, it's $50. When you bring in $50 Dolcetto, I mean, you're going to get, it's the equivalent of $500 Barolo. So it's not really fair. It uh, is, but it goes to like yes. it goes back everything we said about finding yep. shit that is that is breaking and new, you know. So that was yeah, Jeff Porter was yeah, that? Jeff Porter. Yeah, yeah. Jeff, is it 1977 with me? We've we hung out on our 40ths together. Oh, nice. with a bunch of people. Oh, Jeff's very great. cool, man. And I love Jeff, but um, no, and I do remember that episode too. But yeah, I think it's your question. Yeah, I, I mean, it had it was almost too easy to get Burgundy and narrow. Yeah, and then and I love Tuscany, and I, and I mean. I was on a Disney cruise with the kids and they had 2011 Celaya. And my wife, and I had them to Canada day in advance because you can order things oh, on the nice. cruise. I'm like, God, this is good. And her, and Macedo is her favorite one. Oh my so God. I'm almost ruining it by saying, I'm killing, oh my God. when I'm killing Tuscany, yeah. I might be killing you, that gonna, situation, you, okay. but I'm going to Piedmont. What's your wife's name? Joy. Joy. Um, just, just pay no attention to what was said during this section of the podcast <laughs> and listen to it. No, but she loves Barbera. I oh. mean, I've, I've introduced her to Giacomo Quintero Barbera when we were in Piedmont together and we were having lunch and she's like, what is this? I'm like, this is not really Barbera. Right, right? Know, but, right, yeah. And then you, and you go visit Vira and you drink and I'm like, these are great. And Barbera is awesome. You bring, you drink, uh, you know, Brica Dolicioni from Brida and you're mm-hmm. like, oh my, yeah. And then, and then she goes back and has Nebbiolo and she's like, uh, uh, and, that, and that's totally okay. Tastes and that's, like tar and rose petals. Right. It's just yep. not giving me what I want. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Burgundy, even in my house, that's the safe yeah. home for me for, for Pinot Noir, Chardonnay. I open up something good from Burgundy. That's the safest bet. Nice. You know, and, and Burgundy for me. That, that's my home. Like I said earlier, I mean, I think I've been to Burgundy in my 22 years in the business. I've probably been there 20 times. Nice. That's, that's where I would love to marry again. Nice. If I, you know, do so. Gotcha. All right, man. So uh, one last question. What was the bottle that started it all for you? Ooh. You know, I, I, I might have – you know, I mentioned the O2 – I mean the 85 uh, DRC Eshazo yep. in, in 2002. That could have been one. But I would actually think – and I, and I, I we were in Vegas in, in the year 2001. I was with a, a few guys I went to college with. And we were at this random steakhouse with no vintages. Random steakhouse. Love it. And, and they had just a tremendous list of names. And I gave them about eight names of wines that we should drink together. It was four of us. And they started going through. And, and you know, it was 
the who's who of Tuscany and California, Schaefer Hillside and Ornolai and whatever, and a bunch of Bordeaux names. And for the Bordeaux, for for Trotnoy, they came back and they said it was 1982. It was $150 a bottle. And I said, that's fucking ridiculous. So we we slugged that bottle down in about 10 minutes. And we're like, just, and and rarely do I order a second bottle the same moment. Just bring another bottle. And the guy's like, oh, I think I made a mistake. He's like, well, everything in the rack is 1997 after that. That was the only 82. And I was like, ooh. He's like, but don't worry. You're fine. You just got to wear something else. But that was one of those wines where I'd been in the business probably about six months at that mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. And like you drink that with your friends and you mm-hmm. realize how great wine can be. And, mm-hmm. and again, at that $150 is a lot of money for yep. a bottle of wine. It was at a restaurant even. It's still a lot. But I was like, that that's – when you can drink it that fast in a good way, having a great meal, yep. you're like you, you know you've done good, right? Yeah. And I think that was one of those wines. I mean – I think even in the a couple of years later in the crew days with Robert, you know, he was working the floor, Robert Bohr, mm-hmm. and there was a table near us and I was with my buddy David and he started pouring us over everything that they were not finishing. Mm-hmm. And we had um, 90 Latache, 86 Grange. Mm-hmm. There was an oldie chem in there and it was like me and my buddy who were both, you know, oh my God, this is – that was that was one, and then the third one I would say I was at a big client's at the time has passed since, but in New Jersey, big dinner, which like I said now looking back, those are the dinners my wife always hated to go to, and he was super generous. He had this crazy lineup of wines, and then towards the end, the guys were like, "Let's open up some Shav Cuvée Catlin." This is like two thousand and three. We open up every vintage of Shav Catlin at the time. So at the time it was ninety, ninety five, ninety eight, and two thousand four vintages, which it was the end of the night, and I turned to Joy, and I'm like. I was like, he just opened up like randomly an extra $6,000 worth of wine. Now, fast forward, that's like $50,000. Oh, exactly. Right, right. But I was like, super generous guy. And, and I was like, you, let's appreciate these four bottles in front of us. Make sure you get a glass of every single one because we'll never – I've never had Cuvée Catalan since. Like literally never touched a bottle. Like it's – but at, then it was like the guy had not a lot, but he was willing to open Enough up. Enough that those. he was just like open So those up. are those moments where you're like you, you kind of remember them. Those are the epiphanies of like – so when people say to you like, oh, have you tasted those wines? Yeah, I've, you know, I've tasted those wines. And it's great to have that opportunity and luxury to say so. Yeah. Yeah, for sure, man. Well, but Santa Margarita was probably the ultimate epiphany. Yeah, I'm sure. Right yeah, <laughs> at age 21, at the prime Oof, rib of Baltimore. Exactly. That'll do it for yeah. you. <laughs> oh, Dan, thank you so much. Tell people where they can find you, how they can be a part of what you're doing. Uh, so, Daniel Posner, GrapesTheWineCo.com is the store. Um, you can find us on all um, social media channels. I think our Instagram is GrapesWineCo. I think. Uh, our Twitter, I'm not sure of these days. Grapes something. Um, if we're if we're still doing that, Facebook, we're on there. Grapes the wine company still. Um, I'm on personal um, on Instagram as well, but there's really not much there except for personal photos of my family. Nothing worth mentioning. And on Facebook, it's all kind of nonsense that I love to rile people up on politics. Uh, but really, you know, on in- Instagram is the main way, um, and and then and then certainly on our website. Yeah, and get on their email list. You want yeah, I you think, want and, to uh, be yes. on their email list, and, and you can sign up straight on our website, grapesthewineco.com. Email is what we do. We didn't touch upon it, but you know, for twenty plus years, that's been our foundation. No, I would have loved to get into that yeah. with you because I tell I tell all these people when they when podcast, I'm like, listen, if you're a winery, you have gold. You can print money. Yep. You have an email list. Yep. And if you have a wait list, if someone drops off, just like I would email people every week, selling yep. T-shirts, mugs, and if someone drops off, they don't get the wine. Yep. So anyway, 
I, I totally would. We, we'll have to do it again. Um, no pressure. All you listeners out there, check the show notes. That's where I'll put all the links to their socials. Uh, this wine that you can't get just because there's no link. There's anywhere. no, there's, you know, I'll, I'll put the name of the wine, <laughs> but unfortunately, as you heard, um, they got started early and just, it's just super allocated, but you will find other things there. So, you know, that's what'll be in the show notes. Make sure you check those out. And until the next time, cheers to all the Mavericks, the philosophers, the deep thinkers and all you wine drinkers, your boy MJ. Peace.